This week on Punch Mountain, buckle up and get ready for a high-octane race where the winner can earn up to $7 million in exotic cars or can end up paying the towing for seven wrecked exotic cars. Take off your clothes and quit your job because we're watching Need for Speed. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Is this read by AI? Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined, as always, by the one man who's forever in pole position, Mr. David Hada. David, how are you? Mac Blake, my favorite right seater. How are you doing, my friend? David, what does that mean? Have you heard that term before? I've never heard that term. I've always heard it as shotgun. Oh, you know what? I wonder if the movie went through notes and they were like, well, we can't use shotgun. It's right seater now. Let's go ahead and go with that. I looked it up right now. I typed in right seater. We're already, look, we're seconds into this podcast. And we're already into hardcore f- racing facts, David, because we watched the movie Need for Speed. That's right. We're a couple of gearheads now. We have to be because this movie is so deep in its terminology and its knowledge of racing that it's easy to get lost. Uh, turns out right here is an aviation term. Anyway, David, need for speed based on the Vigia game. David, this was your pick. What made you suggest the necessity for velocity? Yeah, that's right. This was going to be my blue shell pick for this current dozen titles that we're doing for Punch Mountain. This is why I wanted us to do blue shell picks, because I wanted us to introduce to each other movies that may not make it onto the mountain so quickly. This movie didn't really have a chance in hell of being on like the definitive ranking of action movies. But I like this movie a lot, Mac. This was one I stumbled across by accident. This one came out the same year as John Wick, but I saw it afterwards. And the reason I saw it was because it was directed by a stuntman. Scott Wall was a former stunt coordinator. He had a lot of uncredited stunt work on on a lot of movies. But John Wick was directed by a stunt coordinator, and I was really into that one. So I was like, you know what? What do other movies by stunt directors look like? And this was one of the first ones I, I picked up. It stuck with me mostly because... I watched it when I was getting maybe too high. I remember watching this movie, the first big car chase or the first big car race. I was so high that I had to pause the movie because I was worried for the people on screen. I thought I had gotten a copy. (laughs) I had gotten a copy of a movie that like, oh no, they forgot to edit out the deaths. So like, that's where I was with it. Does that happen before? (laughs) Is that a real movie where they're like, oh, here's uh, Beethoven, but we forgot to edit out the deaths. This, uh, all the scenes where Beethoven the dog balls the, the people. We actually left those in there. The Adventures of Milo and Otis. The entire movie is that, isn't it? Dogs dying? Multiple dogs and cats because they shot it in Japan where they don't have to worry about animal protection rules. Oh my God. Uh, hey, what's warning for this podcast? Uh, you'll know things that you wish you didn't know. Back to Need for Speed. Once I came down and pressed play again, I was really into this movie. It became the kind of movie that I would show to friends or that I would recommend to friends as a sleeper. Like this movie is going to be better or more entertaining than you think it is. So when when a blue shell came up, I wanted to use it for this one. As I mentioned, David, this series is based on the uh, Electronic Arts video game series. Did you ever play any of the Need for Speed games? There's so many of them. I never did. After seeing this movie, I wanted to, but then I realized it's not going to have any of the storyline. Not that I need the storyline. Oh my God, I really want to relive the Need for Speed movie experience. But no, I, I, I never played any of these. How about did you? You know, David, I actually played one and I have to say I was stunned. This movie is so different from the video game because the video game is about 
about people's uh, their desire for amphetamines. So I don't the, the fact that this one's about <laughs> racing, you know. But it works. It works. I so I'd never seen this movie before. I remember when it came out because this was like Aaron Paul's movie, right? This like post Breaking Bad. And I remember the movie kind of came and went. But yeah, watching it for the first time, you know, it was fun. I think Aaron Paul did a, a good job in it. But I can kind of see why maybe it wasn't a hit. But going into this thing, okay, watching this movie, am I just going to be seeing Jesse Pinkman the whole time? You know, is he just going to be like, I'm learning to drive, bitch? But he he didn't. It felt like he became someone else in front of me. But it felt different from his Breaking Bad work to where it was fine. Uh, how did you watch this movie, by the way, David? What platform? I watched this on Tubi on my television. So I had uh, I had minimal commercials. Wait, this was on Tubi? Yeah. What'd you see it on? God damn it. I paid, what? Three ninety nine to rent it on Amazon. Fuck! You got to pay three ninety nine. Uh, Am- By the way, the Amazon category. Shout out to those. And this might help you for shelving later, David. According to the you know the the listing for this this title, Amazon put this movie in the following categories: suspense, action, alienated, intense. Okay. Hi, I'm looking for something alienated. Do you have anything in stock this week? You mean aliens or predator? That's how I would answer that, and I I would not be joking. But yeah, David, I gotta say a lot of this movie doesn't make sense. But the thing about this movie, David, is we don't got time to make sense because we have a need for speed. Before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search Need for Speed movie on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So let's do some quickly provided answers. David, is Need for Speed the movie on any streaming service? Of course it is. It's right over. Oh, actually, it just left. Mac, what is Need for Speed on Netflix? Currently an unavailable movie option. That's a real answer because this question confused me enough to where I couldn't think of a joke. What was the race in Need for Speed movie? Hard white. Mac, what is the Need for Speed movie about? David, it's about what every racing movie is about. Killing the memory of our fathers. David, before we delve into the story of a man getting over the death of his friend by outdriving the police during a demolition derby across the country, let's check in with two friends who once got a speeding ticket for driving too fast after leaving an Ikea. It's a friendship check-in. And yes, technically I was the one, I got the ticket because I was the one driving. Do you remember that, David? I don't remember this. Had we pulled out or were we still in the lot? (laughs) No, we left because we went to Ikea because you were like, I got this great idea. Instead of buying a bed, I'll just buy some cushions to make a bed on the floor. Does that ring a bell? No, this doesn't. Oh my God. Do you remember what year this is? No, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll check Texas DPS website, see if that warrant is still active. But David Hada, how are you? It's a friendship check-in. My goodness, I, I'm I'm dizzy. I, there's chunks of my life that I'm not remembering. Now I'm like, I'm weirded out. But otherwise, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm quite tired, Mac. Uh, I, I, I have not been this tired in a very long time. Uh, we are still cat-sitting. Uh, that is coming to an end very soon. But uh the first night we had the cat here, Remy is is the cat's name, Remington Steele. And it was named by someone under 50 years old. Well, because I know Remington Steele, and I'm not yet 50, Pierce Brosnan portrayed that that spy character. But maybe Remington Steele is the name of like a vibrator or something these days. I don't know. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh, please don't out me as someone who doesn't know the names of vibrators. But the first night Remy was here, he was very scared. Uh, he wasn't eating. He wasn't drinking. So we were very worried. The second night Remy was here... Remy made it his own home, and ever since then, I have not gotten a lick of sleep, Mac. Uh, Remy is nuzzling my face, which is very cute. Remy is on our stomachs, which is also very cute, but uh, that's not how I sleep, Mac. I thought you were going to say that Remy like was shitting and screaming. But yeah, you, you cannot underestimate what a disruption a snuggling pet could be, or can be. My little sister once had a very sweet chihuahua. It was very small, so it was named Taco. And uh, she's like, oh, I got to go somewhere. I can sleep with you tonight. And I was like, sure. 
And yeah, just it would just like, you know, shift its weight. You know, this little fur would touch my back. And it would it would be as if someone flicked my eyeball. It was like I was instantly awake every time. Oh, Remy climbed under the covers for the first time the other day. And you would have thought a tremor was underneath there. I, I jumped out of bed. I was like, what the heck was that? And it's like, oh, it's a it's an adorable cat. Maybe why it's named after that one vibrator. <laughs> Perhaps. How are you, Mac Blake? Uh, I'm good, David. I kind of learned something about myself today. David, do you remember the the episode where you asked me a question about Batman and I uh, bit your head off because I have opinions about it? And then everyone listening to the podcast, we all learned, including myself, that I need to uh, cool it with how much I care about Batman. I'm familiar. Go ahead. Today, uh, I was eating lunch at work with a, with a coworker. I, I bought a package of what I thought was one cookie, a cookie, fat chocolate chip. But as I picked up the wrapper, I was like, oh my goodness, I think this package might have two cookies in there. If there's two, do you want one? Because I only thought there was one. Oh yeah, no, I, there's two in here. Wow, I thought I was only buying one, but now I get two cookies. This is great. This is like, oh, I, I can't believe I'm going to get two cookies now. The whole time I was like talking about cookies, the person I was uh, eating lunch with was like choking. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I guess I like cookies too much, David, to where they kind of blind me to my surroundings sometimes. At the end, I was like, oh, you're good. Oh, are you okay? And then I was like, back to these cookies. How were their interactions with you post-choking? Did they look at you differently or were they still your pal? David, I turned it into a hilarious joke. Oh, did you? Do tell. I just pointed out the fact that I was paying way too much attention to the cookie and not to them. (laughs) And I was like, a a fucking drone strike could have happened to this building and I would have been like, cookies, everyone. There's two. I mean, (laughs) is it that I love cookies so much or is like, what else is going on in my life that getting an extra cookie uh, is suddenly, you know, my time to shine? I don't know. But David, like the two cookies looking in my mouth, uh, is it time to get in there? Buckle your seatbelts, Mac. We're going in. Seatbelts. Do racing people have more than one seatbelt? Well, they've got like the harness almost where it kind of crosses over. I usually wear a neck belt because when I get into an accident, I want my head severed clean off. I just think it's a faster death. In case people have never seen the movie Need for Speed, which I think is most of us probably. Or if someone has seen it, but it has been a while, just to level said, David, could you give the back of the box description? You got it. Buckle up with Toby Marshall, Aaron Paul Breaking Bad, as he sets out on a mission of revenge against wealthy and arrogant Dino Brewster, Dominic Cooper, who framed him for a crime he didn't commit. Toby pushes his limits to the max in a high-octane race across America, hitting the road with the world's most exotic supercars, delivering real speed, real danger, and real action. Adapted from the top-selling video game franchise and complete with never-before-seen features, Need for Speed is the ultimate thrill ride. 2014, 130 minutes, directed by Scott Wall, rated PG-13, for sequences of reckless street racing, disturbing crash sequences, nudity, and crude language. Oh, man, the uh, rated PG-13 reasons should have just been the back of this box description. Instead of being like, oh, afraid for a crime he didn't commit, which I don't, that's not 100% accurate. If it had just been like, Need for Speed starring Aaron Paul, reckless street racing, disturbing crash sequences, nudity and crude language, Need for Speed is the ultimate thrill ride. I was like, yep, that sounds great. That's really all I need. Just give me like the names of some people in there. Like Aaron Paul and Imogen Poots star in reckless street racing, disturbing crash sequences, nudity and crude language. But joke's on you, incels. The nudity is from uh, Dr. Robot's Rami Malek. Oscar winner. Real quick, the name of that TV show is Mr. Robot. But you at some point started calling it Dr. Robot, which I thought was super funny. Yes. And so whenever it would come up or whenever there was an opportunity to bring it up, I'd be like, oh, Rami Malek, is he from that show, Dr. Robot? Just to see if people corrected me for some reason. And most of the time they would, but then they sometimes they wouldn't. 
And then I don't know what to do, go from there. I'd just be like smiling and laughing to myself. And people would be like, what? And I'd be like, it's, I said it wrong. And they'd be like, what is your <laughs> problem? And then I would just, I guess, eat a cookie. I don't know where to go from there. So on the ride home, when you're banging your fist on the steering wheel, are you mad at them or are you mad at you? I'm banging my fist on the steering wheels because I'm listening to Japan Droids, House in Heaven built. Yeah, bros up. All right, David, how's this movie begin? This movie begins on the mean blacktop streets of Mount Kisco, New York, where Toby Marshall, played by Aaron Paul, and his buddies run a failing auto shop and listen to their favorite streaming personality, a racing enthusiast slash agoraphobe known only as Monarch, played by Michael Keaton. Toby and friends, including the March for Death pipsqueak Pete, played by Harrison Gilbertson, participate in local street races on the weekends and dream of one day competing in the Monarch's signature race, the De Leon. Wait, internet radio people have their own races? Mac, do not worry about that now, because professional race car driver and Toby's old rival Dino Brewster, played by... Preacher's Dominic Cooper returns to Mount Kisco. Dino has Toby's old flame Anita, played by Dakota Johnson, and a business offer for Toby and company. Help repair a legendary automobile and get a share of the profits from its multi-million dollar sale. Toby has to swallow his pride in order to save his failing business. Well, before we get into this movie, did, did you see Preacher, that show? No, not a, not a single episode of it. Did you? Mm, I saw episode one, and then I, I didn't know how to feel about it. For some reason, I didn't keep going. I wonder if it was good. Me too. All right, David, this movie starts with some voiceover, and you're like, oh, I know this voice. This is, uh, this is a Porco Rosso himself, Michael Keaton, talking. As he's talking about, like, what's going on in the racing scene in Mount Kisco, New York, which I looked at and is a real city, we get some visual exposition, right? The camera pans over. Early morning, we're in a small-town auto body repair shop, and we see pictures of Aaron Paul and his dad, like, He's a little kid. He's like holding a racing car. And here they are fixing a car together. And then I don't think they have a picture of his dad's funeral, but his dad's dead. Then at some point, the camera pans over to this trophy case with a bunch of uh, toys in it, too. And I just got to give a shout out here because the toys are an Akira action figure from the movie, uh, you know, Akira. I looked like the McFarlane Toys version. I actually had that figure at one point, but I sold it and I made a, I lost some money on it. <laughs> and then Greedo, Cable, and then uh, Super Mario. You know how when a movie shows you like a teenager's room? First of all, the posters that they have in their room are always at an angle because ah, that's teenagers for you. And then judging by the posters in the room, the teenager likes every kind of music because whoever is like set dressing is like, whatever, you know, I'll just put any poster I can get from this abandoned warehouse music. I'll just stick it on the wall. This is almost kind of like that for comics or sci-fi stuff. I was like, you like Cable, Greedo, and Akira? But you know what, David? I like all those things. Oh, this can go right out of the podcast. But you're not a racer, Maxie. Like, you named those toys, and I'm like, okay, Akira had the motorcycle. I get that. Mario has Mario Kart, of course. Greedo and Cable? That makes no sense. Like, I, I was already doing too much work for the movie. But David, this voiceover, it's a little confusing. And Monarch, played by Michael Keaton, which hats off to Michael Keaton, what an amazing cash grab of a role because every one of his scenes takes place in his home studio. So he's in like one location. He knocked this thing out two days at the most. Easily could have done it in one if you're Michael Keaton. You know what I mean? So great job cashing that check, Michael Keaton. So David, how would you describe who Monarch is? Like, what is he doing? The easiest answer is he's a, a disc jockey. Like I, I imagined him a lot like a Jim Rome type where he's just riling up the listeners and, and giving his takes, but it's a specialized kind of talk show host. He only talks about racing and he only does it on his, on his web series or whatever, or his, you know, his streaming series. But yeah, he just, he hosts a show about racing and he's 
a shut-in. Like, he never goes anywhere. I didn't understand him either, if it makes you feel any better. Yeah, I mean, in some way, he does take a phone call, which makes me think it is like a streaming radio show, but also a streaming radio show where you can see him. Like, there's a video component, too. It's not just his voice. Because later, they're like, no one knows who the monarch is? No one. It's like, wait, no one? There's his face. You can't, like, look up his IP. I don't know. But then they say, legend has it, he sponsored a few Formula One teams, but he always campaigned under other names, a man of mystery. And his origin is kind of the origin of Carol Shelby, famed race car driver who turned a race car designer. And I don't, I'm not a gearhead, David. I just have seen the movie Ford versus Ferrari. But the idea that he had the bad heart, and so he couldn't be a you know driver anymore because he get too excited. And so now he sponsors this secret underground illegal street race called the De Leon. And it's like invite only. And even professional race car drivers who certainly do not have to compete in it, like this guy Dominic Cooper's playing, Dino Brewster, they still do. So it seems like a stretch that this weird, bizarre radio guy plays such a big role in the racing world. But you know what, movie viewer? He does. So let's let's move on. Well, his parents made all that money in the Industrial Revolution, so of course he's going to have money to not sponsor a race that he runs because he doesn't even put up the cat. Okay, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> David, he, no one knows who he is. Okay, stop. No one knows. David, Aaron Paul plays Toby here, and he's got his crew. Let's talk about Toby's crew real quick. So we've got Benny. He's going to be played by Kid Cuddy, surprisingly. Uh, he's going to be a former National Guard soldier. Uh, his handle, uh, they're going to call him Liar One because his friends don't believe his claim about flying an Apache helicopter. But he does own a small airplane. He owns a Cessna. And then there's Ramon Rodriguez, who plays Joe Beastie Peck. And his car, I think, is also called The Beast. He's one of the mechanics who works in Toby's thing. And you, I get the feeling he's like the more serious one. Like he's a dedicated mechanic. He's about his shit. He's a reliable guy. That's right. And then we're going to have the pre-Dr. Robot Rami Malek. He's going to play Finn, the cruise computer expert. And you get the idea that he's less serious, but he is the most gifted technician of the group. And then there is Pete, who is a dumb kid, as far as I can tell, who's kind of like a gosh shucks kind of kid uh, who also races. Like nobody else races except Toby and Pete. And I don't get the impression that Pete is good at racing, which makes me think he's a rich man's son. But this movie takes place in Mount Kisco, which at first I thought it was like a fake town because it seems like this town is like driving obsessed. Kind of like the way that the fictional town of Dillon, Texas, I think it was fictional, uh, in Friday Night Lights was like a high school football obsessed town. At least, th th does that the vibe you got from this place? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you go to the drive-in, the, the Mount Kisco drive-in. It's Friday night. They're about to do street races. So what are they showing on the screen? They're showing Bullet. And it's a packed house. Everyone loves Bullet. So yeah, I think it... I do get the sense that it is kind of racing centric, especially if they produced Dino Brewstery. Like, even if they weren't before, I'm sure once he became a celebrity, they're like, home of racing. So, yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, in fact, on his uh, broadcast, Monarch goes, I'm hearing good things about Toby Marshall. He's really tearing it up there in Mount Kisco, which you have to think this town, you know, maybe because, like you just said, it produced this professional race car driver, uh, Dino Brewster, that it has to be on the racing map the way that North Carolina is uh, known for some dirt racing or whatever, because otherwise it would be real weird if it was like, yeah, I heard the kids really turn it up in Pflugerville, Texas. Like, you know, no one would give a shit. This guy's uh, really uh, ripping up the streets of Rancho Cucamonga. That's a real, that's a real place. Some other things about this town, they do like their neon lighting, which is, is good for uh, director photography. And also the cops don't really seem too invested in stopping any of the street racing. 
Dave, one more thing I'll say about this movie before we get going. This thing looks good. I don't know who the DP is, but it's a good looking movie. This movie takes itself seriously, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, it really tried. It, it's a good looking movie. The score doesn't belong on this movie, but it is a good score. There's a lot of stuff in this movie where I'm like, wow, this kind of doesn't belong in a Need for Speed movie. Yeah, I wish the script had taken things equally as seriously, but here we are. And David, it's like the nighttime race is right. Uh, Toby's gearing up for a race, but right before they gear up for a race, this idiot kid Pete is like, hey guys, I had a vision last night. And his vision is like, you were there, Toby, and you were winning, and you look so handsome, and everyone loves you, Toby. And it's so cool. The fact that this kid's like, I had a vision of the future, tells me right away, this kid's gonna die. David, did you think his vision was lame as fuck? Or do you think this was just super supportive? No, I thought it was lame. I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it just wasted time. Yeah. What do you think about Pete overall? I'll answer that question with a question, Mac. Did you get that Pete and Toby were not brothers? Yeah. When the movie first started, I thought they might be brothers. I think they cleared it up pretty quickly. But because they have like the same hairstyles pretty much... And then, you know, of course, Aaron Paul's got a, a larger forehead. Uh, I, they, they are similar enough to where they easily could have been brothers. Yeah. I've seen this movie a number of times. And I think the first time I saw it, I thought they were brothers. And then the most recent time I saw it, I convinced myself that they were brothers. Because if they're not brothers, this dynamic is hilarious. Like to have someone just be such a flunky for like their best friend and like want to walk in their shadow, that kind of thing. I mean, Pete is thrilled to be in Toby's shadow. Yeah, Pete is such a stand for Toby that I was later stunned when Pete was also racing because he's like, ah, Toby, you're going to win. I'll see you out there. By the way, I'll see you out there. I'm going to try to beat you. It seemed it was very much like a uh, Ricky Bobby Calnaughton Jr. situation from the uh, first half of the movie. So a little proud of myself. I remembered Calnaughton Jr. Not because that's the world's hardest pull, just because my memory is eroding. <laughs> but Pete's like, oh, hey, sorry, Toby, I should have told you earlier, but Anita's back in town with Dino. Oh, what's going on here? Turns out Dino Brewster, the racer, when he left Mount Kisco, he took more than his wheels. He also took Toby's ex, Anita, played by Dakota Johnson. And she shows up and she's like, Pete, I love you. Oh, sorry about your dad, Toby, because I guess Toby's dad died. And then Aaron Paul asks her this question. Yeah? How's the city? How's the city? How's the city? Pretty good delivery. I, I don't know why I really liked the by Aaron Paul asking her about how's the city. I didn't even know Mount Kisco was in New York at this point. I was like, I don't know where this is. But I was like, okay, the city, I guess they're, you know, they're talking about New York. So maybe this place is around there. And sure enough, it's in upstate New York. Yeah. But still, like, I imagined it was New York City adjacent. But like, how close or how far is it for Dino and Anita, who is Pete's sister, by the way? Like, I don't know why I even asked myself that question when, okay, so they have an, a business proposition for, for Toby. So they're going to hop in their car and drive the four hours to Mount Kisco. This is not adding up. Dave, it's actually a one-hour and four-minute drive via the Sawmill River Parkway South and New York 9A South. And David, if you know the way Dino drives, that's probably 28 minutes. Because you know what, David? Everyone in this movie, I'll just say it right now, they have a, a definite need for speed. I'm, I'm a little concerned. If they don't get speed, they might die. But Mac, Dino shows up, Anita shows up, and Toby's not flapped at all because he's got a race to run. So this is going to be our first race of the movie. Yeah, David, this is like a winner take all. I think the, the pot is like $5,000, $6,000. I forget how many people are racing. It's like four or five through the streets of, of Mount Kisco, New York, which are semi-abandoned. 
And the vibe that the, this town I get is that it's more upscale. But honestly, I <laughs> I checked. I wrote Mount Kisco Median Income, and it's less than Austin, Texas. But they have a high-tech setup for this fucking race. Like, they're tracking this race on, like, a computer screen. And not only that, but Benny is watching the race from above from a fucking plane. Yes, Kid Cuddy, in an embarrassing role here as Benny, owns his own plane, and he's using it to track this illegal street race. Let's not draw attention to ourselves, everyone, but I'm going to low-fly a plane over this... over these illegal streetcars. But see, I always have a problem with a lot of movies that we've done here where it acts like this is the first day something is happening when it's probably been happening for a very long time. I like that they have this equipment because they've probably been racing for years and built up a war chest to where they can afford a mobile command center like they have in the back of that truck and they can afford to get a a Cessna for Kid Cudi. So like, hey man, they're putting their money back into the street racing. A small change, a little punch up that would have definitely prevented a lot of me going, what the fuck? What the fuck? They have an airplane? It's just like one little like overt mention that this town is nuts for racing. Because like it's kind of implied or we kind of figured out. But if there was like a Mount Kisco sign, like now we're doing Mount Kisco, home of Dino Brewster, just just one little thing. I, I just feel like it was a hair's breadth away from being very clear that this town was like racing obsessed. I mean, to the point where they an airplane would be following a local race. But David, the racing action in this movie, how did you feel about it? I like it a lot. I'm impressed by all of the racing in this movie. I thought this was a really good introduction to what the racing is going to be like. The camera's right there on top of the cars. It's going in and out of the streets along with the cars. The most impressive part of this first race is how the movie doesn't rely on wrecks. Like, there's almost a choreography. I'm sure there is. It's a movie with stunts. But, like, the way these cars don't go out of their way to wreck each other or anything like that, they're racing. They're, they're keeping their distance. There's something really pretty about it. I, I'm a fan of all of this. I, I'm even a fan of the lack of the soundtrack. Like, normally I feel like a punch-up would be, we need a rockin' soundtrack for this. Just like, you know, kicking in a high gear. Let, let them know it's, it's a high-octane movie. But man, the sound design on this movie is excellent. It lets the cars do the talking. I love the engine noises in this movie. What, what are your thoughts on the race, man? Well, it, it's funny you should say that, because kind of like the movie Driver, when the only sound of the movie is like that, like engine noises for a while. My only thought is like, this is not for me. Like, I don't, for some reason, <laughs> that sound design of those loud engines just, it doesn't like get me going. But yeah, man, you put on a little uh, uh, Night Call by Kavinsky featuring Love Fox, and I'm, I'm in my car driving to a Clippers game, right? Like, driver and drive. But David, I also like the racing action in this movie. Because again, I'm not necessarily someone who's like a big car guy or I'm big into car movies. And so for me, I, I think this is how I kind of laid it out in our review of another car-focused movie, Driver. Is the car action easy to follow? Like, can I tell, like, who's in first place during these races? Like, where are the cars in relation to each other? And yes. And also, do the races build? Like, does the actual race action build? Because there's a reason I don't watch NASCAR. Just the idea of cars racing doesn't really interest me that much. And so with these races, though, you know, because they're like street races or later on because there'll be like different obstacles thrown in the way of the racers, the races themselves do build enough. It's not just like the same kind of like, I'm going fast here, I'm going fast there the whole time. So yeah, I think the racing action in this movie is excellent. You know, this is along the lines of something I brought up in the inventory episode we just did last week talking about Olympus Has Fallen, where it's a diehard on a blank movie, but I can't relate to it because I've never been to the White House. It's kind of like this movie in comparison to NASCAR, where it's like, I've never raced on a NASCAR track. I've never raced 200 miles per hour or whatever, but I have been in rush hour traffic and I have wanted to weave in and out of cars 
So to watch these cars do that throughout this movie, it was relatable and it was very exciting. But right before this race happens, Dino Brewster comes up to Toby and they have a short interaction. Quick punch up here. I thought it would have been awesome if Dino Brewster had been like, hey, uh, my man here from the city, he's going to enter your local race and then have Toby just fucking mop the floor with him. Because what he does right now is he mops the floor with a bunch of other locals, including Pete, but I guess that doesn't really matter. But at some point, though, one of the drivers takes out a, a homeless guy pushing a shopping cart. And when a shopping cart gets knocked over, the dialogue they give this uh, unhoused guy, he goes, my house, talking about the shopping cart. And then later, you know, basking in the victory back at the shop, Toby's whole crew laughs at the homeless guy. They're having a big laugh at him. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, especially since it's Mount Kisco, New York. You probably know who that is. Why don't you get Glenn a home for the night? You don't You don't have to treat him like he's nobody. But David, this is kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the movie that whatever happens outside the windows of that car, like those people's lives do not matter, David. It's really like the only thing they care about. You almost might say that it's not so much a desire for these people. It's almost like just a need that they have for speed, David. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, but Toby wins the race. He, he wins the day. He's going to beat these same guys next week and every week into perpetuity. But they go back to Marshall Auto, the, the auto body shop that Toby owns. It used to be his dad's. And they're just hanging out, shooting the shit a little too long. Mac, that's going to be maybe not a punch up, but maybe just more of a note. Every human interaction in this movie, every conversation always feels like it's 15 seconds too long. We're just like, we can bail out of this. We we know what you guys are getting at. Stop talking. For some reason, this felt this cast felt like a crew where they're like, go ahead and improv some dialogue. And then they use none of it. <laughs> just, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say there's a real chemistry between in this crew. But the most surprising thing to me, David, is uh, Pete didn't die. I thought for sure Pete was going to get <laughs> fridged early in the movie to provide motivation for Toby, but he, he survives this first race. I see him being prominent throughout the movie. I mean, we're establishing him as a young racer on the come up. So I'm excited to see great things from Pete. So when we first meet Anita Dakota Johnson, I think she did Fifty Shades of Grey either like the next year or this same year, just for in case anyone's putting a Dakota tracker on her career. <laughs> She's like, Dino's got a proposition for you. And then I guess Toby never asked him about it, but Dino shows up post-race and here's his proposal. Dino's come into possession of a, a car that Carol Shelby built where he's working on with Ford right when he died and he needs Aaron Paul, Toby, to fix it up. And uh, first of all, what I know about Carroll Shelby is, of course, he's, he's, it's really Matt Damon from Ford versus Ferrari. For the special edition, I hope they put in a, a picture of a young Carroll Shelby and it's Matt Damon just so this could be part of the Ford versus Ferrari verse. But he's like, yeah, I got this mysterious car. I need you to rebuild it. You're the only one that could rebuild it. I got excited for a second, David, because I thought like, why is Toby the only one that could rebuild it? Is this car cursed? Did the spirit of Toby's dead dad go into the car? But David, obviously there's a gas leak in my house uh, because that's not the case. It turns out that Toby and his crew are just really good at repairing cars. And it turns out that Dino is a criminal. How did he get his hands on this like one of a kind car? Well, one of a kind body frame, because shouldn't this be in a museum? Like even like a Ford Motor Company museum? Like what is this guy from Mount Kisco doing with it? David, there's no time to answer that. So Dino tells Toby, he's like, hey man, if you fix up this car and because of its pedigree, it's probably going to go for over $2 million. You'll get, I forget what number, but it's like 20, 25% or something like that. 25, yeah. And Toby's like, you have a deal, bitch. And he, you know, and Dino's like, great, I'll bring the car by tomorrow. And after he leaves, Toby's crew is like, no, turn him down, man. What are you doing? Dino sucks. You don't need his money. It's like, first of all, like they're all surprised that he took this offer. 
which, uh, first of all, like tell him to turn it down. He already said yes. But also, it's $500,000 at least. It's like, why are you stunned that he turned down that much money? Because then Toby drops his bombshell on them. He's like, hey, guys, our business is failing. And they're all stunned. The next day when the car arrives, they're not working on any cars. There's no cars in their shop. They're just playing video games. Why are they surprised that the auto body shop is failing? You have no customers. But, you know, maybe it's just going to pick up. Maybe there's going to be a run of high-end exotic cars coming through Mount Kisco. And once they do, they're going to need martial auto. Like, yeah, come on, guys. Read the tea leaves and know that you need this money. I mean, this is almost like a Nathan For You setup where it's like, what if more cars get wrecked during legal street races and that'll generate business for you? But that's not the case because I don't think any wrecks happened. These Mount Kisco drivers, they're too careful. But Mac, they get to work on the Carroll Shelby Mustang and the Mustang project is a success as we do a short time jump to a fixed car reveal party complete with holograms. Wait, is it normal to have parties for car restorations? Mac, do not worry about that now because enter Julia, played by Imogen Poots, a successful car broker slash English accent owner, just in time for the cocky Toby to make a terrible first impression. Toby helps drive up the price of the car by demonstrating that it can reach an insanely fast top speed of 234 miles per hour. But Toby crosses a line with Dino in the process. That's it, says famous professional driver Dino. Let's race, childhood foe. When doomed idiot Pete asks to join the insanely dangerous head-to-head race, Dino lets Pete join because when it comes to killing people, Dino likes to have options. Imogen Poots, David, uh, has got a lifetime pass in my book. What I mean by that, David, is if her next 30 movies are terrible, she's still going to be aces because of how good she was in the movie Green Room. So every time I see Imogen Poots, besides having one of the best names of all time, I'm always excited to see her on screen because she's charming. She is charming and she is a charmer in this movie. If you have a name like Imogen Poots, you better be captivating on screen. That's just not going to look good on a billboard otherwise. So there's this party and they're, they're you know, revealing like, hey, everyone, we fixed up this car. And you see some like laser hologram horses like, and then, yay, it's a big party because the car has been fixed. And David, this party is like a fucking hopping club party. Like it's a rave without the rave music. Like everyone is like dressed to the nines. All, all just to see a, that a car got fixed. It, it's a little, it's a little sharp. Okay, why not? It's like the penthouse bar of a really fancy hotel, and they put the Mustang in the service elevator and just got it to the top. But yeah, it's this big swanky soiree, and Team Toby is walking around like Finn's hitting on women. He's like, "Hey, you like that car? We built that." But the response he gets from every woman he hits on is like, "Oh, so you're a mechanic?" And it's like. I'm also an engineer. I'm also pretty smart. I'm also really good with my hands. Like, why are you here? What are you doing here if you're just going to shit on the person who built this awesome car? I think they were just there for the drinks. I actually like that response because I thought that was like so awkward. Like, like that car, we built it. And she's like, so your mechanic eats shit. Like, I was like, yeah, hell yeah. But this car, they pull the sheet off of it and it's a, it's a Mustang, all right? It looks a lot like a 2015 Mustang. This was not the thing I was expecting when they're building it up. Like, this was the last car Carol Shelby was working on. It's like, this is what you did with it. But at the same time, it's a sharp looking car. Like I was watching this movie with the bombshell and she said, you know what? If I was playing a video game, I would steal that car, which is the highest endorsement you could give to a car. But yeah, David, you're right. It looks so much like kind of a modern generic Mustang that I was like, wait, when did Carol Shelby die? Because he lived to a pretty ripe old age, if I remember correctly. Yes, he was 89 when he died. And then sure enough, towards the end of his death, he was working with Ford on some stuff. Like, I don't know if until the very moment of his death, if he was like, you know, under the hood of this frame or whatever. But the fact that it had a more modern look because he did die when 2013. Sure, that checks out, I guess. Sorry, 2012 is when he died. 
for any death fact checkers. But David, as Toby and Dummy Pete are looking at this car, in comes Julia. Uh, is this car fast? Toby and Pete just cannot be bothered. They're like, yeah, what do you think, idiot? Like they have no patience for someone who's not like 100% familiar with how fast this car is. But then it turns out, David, uh-oh, Julia knows her shit. Because psych, she's a trickster. She knows everything about cars, but she's the person who's like interested in buying the cars, somebody Ingram. She's like the car broker or, or buyer. And so once Toby and Pete find out like, oh, she knows her shit, like Pete's backtracking and he's trying to say something nice to impress this uh, English lady. And he goes, uh, I love Piers Morgan. Oh, David, Pete's inevitable death cannot come soon enough. But Mac, let me ask you something, because the way they treat Julia, who... Who, who would have guessed Oh, uh, someone at a car show knows something about cars? But like before they know that, this beautiful woman walks up to them, asks them about, about cars. Mac, if you were at a McDonald's or something and a gorgeous lady walks up to you and she's like, excuse me, who would you say is the strongest Batman villain? Are you going to be like, I'm not even going to have this conversation with you. you. You won't even get Batman villains. Are you like, this is the greatest day of my life? No, David, I'm going to mansplain the fuck out of it with as much contempt as I can squeeze into every word. Oh, it depends. God damn it. I mean, Amigadala is pretty strong. Uh, but are we talking about Bane when he's on his venom? Which, you know, was like the drug he used to get really, you know, uh, veiny. Of course, I would be like, oh, hey, prettiest woman in the world. Uh, yes, I will not be a complete asshole to you. But yeah, it's revealed that... She's uh, buying the car, or brokering the sale of the car. And Toby's like, yeah, top speed, 235. And Dino's like, hey, that's just theoretical, which, <laughs> okay. And she's like, oh, yeah, if you can prove it's 235, then maybe instead of the $2 million I'm offering, I'll go up to $3 million. Cut to the next day, a racetrack. Toby is driving this car very fast. Sure enough, he hits the top speed, 235. He gets out of the car. Dino's pissing him for driving too fast. But he hit that speed, and it looks like this uh, sale is on. You know, it was originally going to go for $2 million, but they, they said, okay, well, if it gets up to over two, 230 miles per hour, we'll talk about maybe $3 million. And so Toby hits 234 so they think they got $3 million in the bag. But then here comes Julie with a, with a slight counteroffer, and she says $2.7 million. But the way she says it, Imogen Poots is so winning in this movie. She is a real charmer. She is indeed. However, who's not a real charmer is Toby. Going back to the party, Toby is a dick to Dino uh, at the party. He's a dick to Dino now. You think a dude to just put a bunch of money in your pocket. Maybe you don't like him, but you don't have to be like an over dick to Dino. Calm down, Toby. Uh, a slight punch up. I want to know what Dino did to Toby. Like the only way this is acceptable is if Dino cost Toby a $3 million deal back in the day. Like you do not need to hold this grudge. All right, but jump forward back to the racetrack. They just made the sale. And Toby and Dino are kind of going at each other. And Pete's like shooting his mouth off too. And finally, Dino's like had enough. Yeah, Dino's like, all right, fine. We'll go to a racetrack of my choosing and get cars of my choosing. And the winner takes all. In fact, we'll make it interesting. I'll bet my 75% of this Mustang sale against your 25%. And that's going to get Toby hooked. And they're going to go to uh, the most exotic place in Mount Kisco. Dino's uncle's house, who is out of town. Toby, what the fuck are you doing? Okay, he's like, we need this money to save the business. And then after like a two-second pissing contest, Toby's like, well, I love racing. I got a need for speed. I got to do it. He just like throws, you know, like potentially throws away 
at the drop of a hat, Toby puts his business, his father's business on the line with like little or no provocation. Toby sucks, methinks. And so, yeah, they're like, tell you what, go ahead and bet your family business on a car you've never driven, on a track you're not familiar with. And they go to Dino's uncle's house and he like pushes a button and the garage doors come up, revealing three cars that are quote unquote like illegal in the United States. Like these cars shouldn't even be here, which I don't even know what the fuck that means (laughs) unless they have like pharmaceuticals that we can't sell. I don't, maybe they're not street legal because they're so fast. That doesn't seem right. And it turns out like, Dino, where did you get these insanely expensive cars? And Dino's like, they're my uncles. Do we ever hear about this uncle ever again? No. Oh my God. He must be the richest man in Mount Kisco. Like this whole thing is preposterous. So these cars, I don't even know if they're real. I never want to know if they're real. I didn't look it up, David, but the little x-ray feature on Amazon Prime was like, uh, whatever the car is called, it was called like a, a bungle gungle or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like, this Biagera is painted to look like this edition of the Biagera, but real car heads know that it's not that edition. And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're realish cars. Yes. But I'm okay with that because I've never seen these on the streets, so they could just be mythical space shuttle cars for all I know. And that, that helps me. That helps, you know, because if this was like, oh, it's a Pontiac GTO, then in my head, I can't picture that going 270 miles an hour, but this fake-ass Agera, let's go. Let's do this weird race. And so Pete has just been like talking shit this whole time, like hyping up Toby when it's really not needed. And so when Toby and Dino are about to race, Pete's like, can I race too? And Dino's like, yeah, sure, why not? Why not? These cars are super fucking expensive. They're not yours. You're basically giving Toby a teammate. Ay, ay, ay. Everyone's dumb. Everyone is fucking stupid. <laughs> you know what might have helped if above the title of this movie, you put Disney's. Like if it was Disney's need for speed, then I'd be like, oh, I mean, you probably, this is a Disney movie. You, you probably couldn't have had a, as much a cop murdering as it does later. But it would sort of be like, oh, this movie's dumbed down where character motivations should not be questioned. But anyway, David, it's time for our second race. It's Toby. Versus Dino versus Pete, who's really on Toby's team. And they're racing for all the marbles here. And they're again, they're racing uh, through highways and streets. They don't give a shit about anybody else because they're crashing cars as they go about it. Who gives a fuck? But uh, again, the racing footage is fun. I enjoy the racing footage a lot. It's out on the road with actual people. This, I, I believe this is the part where I got genuinely scared. This is where we see like our first crash footage, you know, because it's going to be two bystanders just trying to make their way to work who T-bone each other and and they're dead now. But it's pretty thrilling all in all. There's a fun, dumb little joke where the three cars go zooming past this Pontiac. That's the old Smokey and the Bandit car, Mac, and it's only going 60. This isn't your old man's car movie. But David, before this race, Pete goes up to Toby and he goes, Toby, this is the car from my vision earlier. I pictured you driving this car. It's like, oh my God, seeing you have a vision of the future right before a car race and then living, you're, you're on final destination time at this, this moment. The <laughs> fact that you brought it back up like, oh, hey, death, you forgot to claim me earlier. I'm available now. Pete, shut the fuck up. So what's going to happen is, you know, it's a, it's a three car race. Like you said, it's basically two against one. Dino's got the lead for a while, but then Toby's going to make his way to the front of the pack with a little help from Pete. And in fact, let's play a little bit of audio here when when Toby solicits Pete's help. Thanks, Salubone. You got it, man. 
So keep in mind, Mac, they're not in the same car, but yet somehow they know to have this conversation with each other. Uh, that's the kind of movie this is. Maybe that was part of uh, Pete's vision. But David, even though it looks like Toby's going to win the race, uh, doesn't really turn out the way Toby wanted to because Pete and Dino, they start trading a little paint. But yeah, it's going to get to the point where Dino ends up in third place and he's got Pete right in front of him, kind of playing blocker. And Dino's going to get desperate and he's going to clip you know, the corner fender of Pete's car. And that car is going to go up. It's actually going to turn sideways. So Dino's car is going to kind of T-bone it, but then it's going to catch air. And then Pete's car is just going to go flying. This is kind of brutal. That car flips maybe a dozen times, crashes onto like the railing of the bridge and then bursts into flames. This is intense. Yeah, it's the kind of crash that even if you were there in person and you were so scared that somebody died, you would still probably go, cool, because it is a very <laughs> impressive crash. And David, it turns out super dangerous street racing actually may have consequences because uh, Pete is, is dead inside that car. Even if he was not on fire, he would still just be hamburger meat the amount of times that flipped over. And, and Toby, you know, he stops his car to go back and be like, no. But Dino's like, uh, see ya. And he just drives away. Dino's going to be a little shit. He's going to win this thing. And he's going to claim the rest of the money, I guess. But meanwhile, yeah, Toby decides, I got to go back and gather Pete's ashes or whatever. And you forget, Mac, Aaron Paul is an Emmy-nominated actor. And it, it you, you see it in the scene. You see it throughout this movie. I'll be honest with you. Aaron Paul does a pretty competent job of acting in this movie, especially in like the intense, dramatic moments. This is one of them. I, I believed he was very, very sad about Pete getting just grilled like a hamburger. Yeah, we see Pete's funeral, and we also see Toby, you know, wearing a prison jumpsuit, basically being told by the cops, where the fuck is uh, Toby's lawyer, by the way, uh, being told by the cops that they blame him for Pete's death, that there's no evidence linking Dino to that race. It's like, Dino's got some witnesses who swear he was with them all day. And Toby's like, no, it was his car that flipped Pete, I swear. This is happening, it's not happening. But Dino, he left... Toby hung out to dry and looks like Toby's going to jail. But first of all, shout out to Rami Malek's character, Finn. He shows up to Pete's funeral wearing a uh, bright red button-up shirt. First funeral, buddy? <laughs> you, know, uh... you, you would have thought he realized that uh, they were in financial trouble when he couldn't afford a black shirt for the funeral. But hey, man, he's got his own style. Yeah. Are you going to a China club right after this? Uh, little baby don't hurt me? Is that what you're doing? I don't know. But Mac, with Pete now dead from the racing accident, Dino splits and sets up Toby for Grand Theft Auto and also for manslaughter for Pete's death, and Toby gets sent to jail. Then we jump ahead two years. Toby's being released from jail. Okay, so now it's time for Toby to start the slow process of rebuilding his life post-prison, right? No, Mac, you idiot. This movie's not called Need for Self-Reflection. Toby gets out of jail with a plan. Toby's going to enter and win Monarch's winner-takes-all cars illegal race, the De Leon. To do this, Toby strikes a deal to borrow the Carroll Shelby Mustang. One catch, though. Toby's got to drag along the beautiful and charming gearhead Julia all the way to California. Ugh. We'll see about that, little missy. Meanwhile, Dino might be in some financial trouble, like Jerry Lundegaard in Fargo, but who can tell with this dumb subplot? So, Mac, Toby's going to call Ingram and say, hey, I need to borrow your car. I need to borrow your $2 million car. Yeah, and Ingram, by the way, he was the dude that bought the uh, Carrie Shelby uh, car that Toby and company fixed up. So the fact that, first of all, Ingram even remembers this guy, he's like, yeah, uh, Toby who? Oh, the dude who fixed up the car. Yeah, Dino's friend, yeah. 
oh, you went to jail? Like, <laughs> did he? But he's like, yeah, uh huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Borrow this $3 million car or whatever. Quick punch up. We, we cut to Ingram's place and he's just having a fun Sunday morning. And then he looks down at his phone, it's ringing and it says Toby. And he's just like, because <sighs> yeah, an ex con is calling you the second they get out of jail. No, thank you, horror movie. I would, my punch would be cut to Ingram's house and his face is white with cocaine. As if he just dunked his whole head in it. Like, yeah, you can borrow my car. Sniff, 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 sniff. But Toby's going to go back to the auto body shop. He's going to break into it and wait for the car to get delivered. And here comes Julia. She's going to deliver the car. And, and, and Toby's very grateful. He's like, oh, make sure you, you thank Ingram for me when I drop you off at the bus station or whatever. But no, Julia's coming along. In fact, she, she has another very charming way of, of selling herself. Uh, let's just play the audio clip right here. Uh, California's a, quite a big... And you might remember that I'm a numbers girl. Okay, so what are your numbers telling you? There's something about that line, Reed. She's just this way throughout the entire movie. She's just so sunny and winning. I'm a big fan of Imogen Poots in this movie. But here Toby proves that beggars can be assholes because even though she's loaning him the car, he still is a jerk to her. He's like, you get to come? What? Why are you setting the rules on this insane favor you're doing for me? So Toby is kind of a dick to Julia, and he continues to be an arrogant ass to her for uh, the next couple scenes. Eventually, you know, he starts to, to warm up. And David, I don't mean to be too, like, dumb and lizard-brained about this, but if you're a straight dude who just got out of prison for two years and Imogen Poots walks in, wouldn't you be, like, a little nicer to her? Just because there's some chemicals in your... Wouldn't you be just too horny to be mean? I, I would think so. I would be too horny to form words. I would just be... I would point to the car. I would make a steering wheel motion. And then 45 hours later, we'd be in California and I would be spent. But no, I guess his jerk-off schedule has been real strict because he is super focused on this mission. But you're right, Mac. Toby's going to be a jerk to her for the first leg of this trip. He's going to make up arbitrary rules about being a right seater and is like, you've never been a right seater, have you? And she's like, what does that involve? He's like, well, you're not supposed to wear high-heeled boots. And then she's like, okay, I've got trainers. What else? And he's like, uh, shut up. And they're like, man, do you really have to do... I mean, I don't even get the motivation for this as far as like the movie goes. He could be a little nicer. And then once you get to the nicer version of Toby later in the movie, you're like, well, this is the winning formula. Why did we not just get this throughout the whole movie? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I understand he's got a chip on his shoulder, but at the same time, like, uh, they're not challenging you, man. They're be she's being nice to you. Like, just just go with it, dude. But I'll tell you what, this first leg of the road trip, more fun car stuff. This is going to be a little shitty or a little challenging to enjoy because it is Toby actively trying to scare Julia out of the trip. He's weaving in and out of traffic. He's doing, like, crazy stunts. It's fun. It's fun-ish, I guess. But I hate that Toby is too stupid to realize that this won't scare an exotic car broker. You know, she's not like in antiquities. She's, she doesn't sell old furniture. She sells high-end, fast automobiles. In fact, she brags that uh, she's a pretty good driver behind the wheel. She's had some experience herself. But David, the reason why they got to drive so fast is to enter this legendary race, the De Leon. They got to get to that race. And it's most likely in California. Its location is a secret. And they're in New York, so they got 48 hours to drive across the country. They got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But we're going to do what they say can't be done, Mac. Will they, David? I guess we're going to have to continue to watch Need for Speed. But meanwhile, there's a, a much less interesting subplot going on. I don't even know if you can call it a subplot. I think it's just a check-in. 
with Dino and Anita, and it's a dinner that Dino's having with some investor. Dino is trying to get X amount of dollars for X project, but we get the sense that like he's trying to swindle the investor because he's lying about whether or not his dealership is making a profit. Like, A, I don't care about any of this. But B, if you're going to force this on me in the movie, let's spend more time with this. I want to see Dino the failure. I want to see people going to his dealership, spitting in his face, stealing cars. Like, let's see this loser. I guess the point of this scene was to give motivation for Dino to race in the De Leon. He's like, I need to enter that race because the winner of the De Leon, David, if you win the race, you get everyone's cars. So there's like eight cars in this race. The total worth of all the cars is like $7 million or something like that. And so if you win, you get those millions of dollars worth of cars. And so he's like, oh, I need to win this race to, to get this car money or whatever. But David, I, don't, I did not need a reason for Dino to enter this race because at this point, I already know that Dino himself has a need for speed. The fact that like during the summer, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James will go play like the Rucker Park, you know, leagues or whatever, like they'll go to these like fame, like uh, street hoops locations and like, you know, play some games. You know, when they do that, I'm not like, does LeBron need the money that bad? No, they like basketball. This dude likes racing. I don't care about this subplot. The only other purpose it serves is it shows that there's some trouble in paradise between Anita, Dakota Johnson, and uh, and, and Dino that... Uh, I mean, you know, maybe their marriage or whatever, or engagements on the rocks. But meanwhile, we're going to check in on Toby and Julia. They're still on the road. It's nighttime now. And uh, and Joe is going to be following behind in, in his big old truck. And he's going to give Toby a call and he's going to check in on him. Like, he really is just like, hey, man, I just want to see where your head's at. And I wanted to tell you, like, I think Pete would have, would have really loved this trip. And this is oddly heartfelt. And I'm going to ask, Mac, is Need for Speed a date movie? If you were in high school, yes. If you were not in high school, no. Asked and answered. Thank you. But there are surprisingly, maybe not touching to everyone across the board, but I think this movie does the best it can with having a range of emotions. I, I'm, I'm rooting for this movie. But then Mac Team Toby's going to make a pit stop in Detroit to pick up Finn, who now has a downtown office job. Toby also takes the opportunity to put together a sizzle reel to get him invited to the Daily Own. When Toby's audition goes viral, Dino's not worried, but just to be safe, he puts a bounty on Toby's head. This concerns Dino's fiance slash, I guess, secretary Anita, who goes digging through Dino's not hidden files to find evidence of his involvement in Pete's death. So David, even though it is two years later, as soon as Toby gets out of jail, his team is picking up right where they left off. Benny is like, I'll hop in a plane and do whatever you want. And his top mechanic, Joe, is like, I'm right there with you, Toby, whatever you need. Finn, however, has moved on. He's like the only dude that was like, I got to live my fucking life. Now, why did he have to move to Detroit to get an office desk job? I mean, it, it helps the movie because we're headed west. But there was not even like a throwaway line where it's like, you know, like, uh, oh, Finn moved back home, you know, or something like that. It's just like all of a sudden uh, Finn's in Detroit, I guess. Especially because my assumption is he went to go work for the automotive industry. And so like you get the sense that a lot of this movie was underwritten by the Ford Motor Company, but he couldn't have gone to work for the Ford Motor Company. Like I had to do that work for you. This movie's flimsy and I love how flimsy it is. Also, fun fact about Finn, he does not know how to put his phone on silent because every time it rings, he acts like, oh my God, how, how why is this happening? But yeah, they're going to try to rope Finn back in. He's adamant. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. But they're like, look out the window. And that's all it takes because there's the Mustang revving up and ready to go. Yeah, so Joe has called Finn and he's like, Finn, quit your fucking job. We, we need you right now. 
Toby's going to enter this race. We need to get the team back together. And Toby's outside the building, like, like revving of the car to, in my mind, just to get Finn's attention here. And it works because it looks like Finn is in and he quits his job in an amusing fashion. But before we get into that, let, let's cut down to Toby, who's, uh, who's not really trying to avoid attention from his cop. No, he's not. He's actually, he's goading the cop. He wants the attention. So it's Toby and Julia. They're down on street level and Toby's just like really revving the, the engine. Here comes a cop. Okay, so this is the first time that we see Aaron Paul, Toby, having fun in this movie. I like fun Aaron Paul. This is going to be my first markout moment because there's a moment here where he's goading the cop. The cop's like, all right, why don't you just pull it on over? And Toby, without breaking eye contact, just rolls up the window. And I'm like, okay, if we can get this level of Toby throughout the movie, I think we have a winning movie. I'm, uh, this is going to be my first markout. I didn't quite mark out at the scene, but but something I thought was cool happens in, in a moment. So as as Aaron Paul is like goading the cop, he's like, ning, 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 and the cop is like, pull over. Joe, still on the phone with Finn, is like, Finn, look out the window. You see Toby? Yeah, he, like he wants Finn to look because like maybe the suspension is not right. So the fact that they're like, yeah, we don't give a shit about this cop. Like we can outrun him, no problem. We're doing this whole cop thing just so you can get a look at the car. I was like, damn, these guys are fucking cool. I guess they really do have a need for speed. I, 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 even though that might've been dumb, I thought that was neat. It was, it was dumb and neat. And one of the most ridiculously economical scenes in a motion picture I've ever seen, because so not only are they doing it to go get Finn, not only are they doing it to test out the car and, and troubleshoot it, but they're also using the footage to, to upload to the Monarch to get him into De Leon. Like they could not have spread this out over the country. We're doing this all in Detroit. Let's get it in an afternoon. I mean, that makes sense. They're they're driving from New York to Michigan. They have a lot of time on their hands. They're like, oh, you know what? When we pick up Finn, we can, we can get him to look. We can also do this thing with De Leon. Like, they just they had time to plan it, I guess. They really crammed it in there. But Finn, he notices the problem. He's like, oh, I think the car is leaning this way or whatever. And that's all he needs. He's in. He's back on Team Toby. He quits his job. And the way he does it is he takes off all of his clothes. He gives a coworker a kiss that she did not ask for. That's creepy. He even strips to uh, out of his underwear, so he's just walking around nude. If you want to see Rami Malek's bare ass, this is the movie for you. Uh, this scene's pretty stupid. I don't love it, but I also get it, you know? Because when he meets down on the street with Joe, Joe's like, why are you naked? He's like, I wanted to make sure I never came back to this place. And I'm watching this with the bombshell, and she says, I've never related to somebody more. <laughs> like, yeah, get naked and leave, my dude. You know, I forgot about that. When he said that, I was like, that does make sense. Like, you, he definitely <laughs> burned that bridge. But he got naked so early on in the leaving the building process. If that building had any security, it could have stopped him. Because they don't know what this naked guy is going to do. I mean, at least put in a scene where maybe security is like, hey, buddy, need to, whoa, just leave, just leave, or something like that. There could have been more jokes. But Team Toby, with his Detroit pit stop, they've accomplished everything they've wanted to do, but now they still got to outrun this fucking cop. So this is our third race of the movie. helping Toby outrun this cop, it's Benny. And he and Benny's not in an airplane this time. Benny is now in a stolen traffic copter. Okay. And it is around the five o'clock hour because they throw to him for a traffic update. Like, look, I get the device of needing eyes in the sky, but Benny throughout this movie, my, my second least favorite Benny on Punch Mountain, he is so unfunny in his scenes. It is upsetting. Like even this part where he's in the traffic copter and they throw to him, that should be the punchline in itself. But he decides to focus in on some joggers 
and zoom in on these ladies' butts and just kind of provide a commentary with it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, man, you could cut this. You can cut all of it. Yeah. I don't know if the implication is that he stole it or the implication is that he had a friend or like some hookup that was like, yeah, I'll let you have the traffic copter right when I'm supposed to be there. I don't know. I will say that Kid Cudi, after seeing his movie, is less cool in my eyes, which I think if you are a professional hip hop artist where uh, part of your career depends on being cool, then maybe this movie's not the best career move. But lucky for Kid Cudi, I don't think anyone saw it. But Mac, this is going to be our third racing sequence. More cool driving. This is all going to culminate with there, there's a part where Toby's trying to outrun the cops, trying to get away from them. So Benny says, hey, I'm going to need a two lane grasshopper out of you. And well, what a two lane grasshopper is, is it's exactly that. He hops over basically the grass median, hops over two lanes of traffic, just basically takes air and then crashes safely away from the rest of the cops. I liked this. It was a little too unbelievable. But Aaron Paul and Imogen Poots sell this. They cut to them inside the car. It's these slow motion reaction shots. They're screaming their heads off. I'm getting into their dynamic on this movie. But David, as cool as this scene is, if you ran a logic comb through it, the comb would break because this is a car they need to enter into a street race 24 hours from now. And what are you doing? You're letting it jump over two lanes and crash into the ground. I mean, I'm surprised the tires didn't explode. Like, this is just not the care you need to be taking of this, like, high-performance car. I almost wish they did make it to the De Leon with just this beat-up bluesmobile, just the wheels wobbling off of it. That would have been the best. However, they do manage to shake the cops, and so now they're driving, but there's no time to slow down. So here comes Joe and Finn, and they're in uh, Joe's car, the Beast, which is kind of like a tow truck, but it's also, it's got gas. David, they're going to refuel the Shelby supercar without stopping. Yeah, they're going to pull a hot fuel and Finn's going to climb up on the, on top of the beast. He's going to pull out the nozzle and here comes Julia. Julia's going to roll down her window, climb out of the car. I didn't know what was going on. Mac, I marked out like this is because I, I couldn't get an official confirmation on this, but I do believe the stars of this movie did a lot of their own stunts. I know they did a fair amount of their own driving and I do believe Imogen Poots was hanging out of this car. You know, for all of the script's faults and for all of the faults of the movie, it does make small moments thrilling. I wouldn't think filling up a car could be exciting, but they make it exciting. This is going to be a second markout moment for me, Mac. I thought this, I did not mark out because I thought it was real stupid. I, If you are in a car and you're trying to hand a sandwich to a person in the car next to you, and you're both really good drivers, you probably could get close enough and maintain similar speed so you can hand that sandwich to a person. The person in the passenger front does not need to be like, I'm going to climb to the outside of the car to grab this sandwich. I, I don't know why I came up with this analogy of a sandwich. I could have just used what they're actually doing, which is putting <laughs> a, uh, you know, like the gas gun in the tank of a car. But yeah, because it was so needless, I, I couldn't quite get into it. But yeah, it was definitely cool. But it, it's a cool little moment. It breaks up the monotony of, of driving to California. Something else that breaks up the monotony, Julia's going to call into the Monarch show to try to clear Toby's name, to try to put some seeds of doubt into the minds of people who think that Toby is this murderer. And meanwhile, Monarch is going to reach out to Dino for comment. And Dino's going to like talk shit about Toby. He's like, didn't that guy just get out of prison for manslaughter? And meanwhile, Anita is in the next room listening to the show, like listening to Dino kind of being sensitive about like the death of her brother. 
Yeah, and Monarch, again, played by Michael Keaton in this movie, he's up to speed on almost everything. You know, like he gets sent the footage of this daring police escape and he's like, hey, uh, Toby Marshall, this kid's back. Maybe he needs to be in the Daily Own Race. We'll see or whatever. But here's the thing is as much as he's uh, hyping up Toby, Dino is listening and, and Dino, you know, even though he's pretending not to sweat the involvement of Toby Marshall, he decides to protect his investment a little bit. How does he do that, David? He's going to put a bounty on Dino's head. He's going to tell everybody in the listening audience, all 18 of them, he's going to like, I'll put up my Lamborghini, my one in three in the world Lamborghini to anyone who can take out Toby and make sure he doesn't make it to the De Leon. And you cut to all these like soldiers of modest fortune, these like weekend warriors in their garages listening to the radio like, hey, that could be me. And like, it's stupid. It's silly. But I also like the movie's effort. I don't know. I like that it's trying to raise the stakes and like uh, put crosshairs on Toby. I'm, I'm into this. Even though this might be a little stupid, it is consistent because it tells us the fact that Dino is uh, pretty much committing a crime here, you know, over the public airwaves, like setting up a hit on Toby. It's like, man, uh, Dino is bad at, at hiding his, his criminality. Yeah, he sure is. Because not only did he save the car that he murdered Pete in, but he also, what, saved the receipt for the car that proved he owned it? Not only does he save the receipt for the car, he saves it on his desktop, I believe. It doesn't take like a password. It does it's not in the folder labeled prawn. It really is just like Anita, two, three clicks, and she's got it. She's got the photos of the car. She's got the address where it is. Dino is not good at this. Yeah. So Anita, because she was also listening to that broadcast, now realizes that her fiance uh is maybe a murderer or a manslaughterer. And she also now <laughs> knows the location of that uh, supercar from, you know, two years earlier or whatever. But then Mac, after a brief run-in with the law at a truck stop in Nebraska, Toby and Julia make it to Utah before some steering wheel tough guys who were almost definitely at the Capitol on January 6th try to collect on Dino's bounty. With the help of Julia's slick driving and Benny's stolen Apache helicopter, Toby and Julia are able to escape. Yes, our heroes stop at at this truck stop in Nebraska, you know, to refuel. But at this point, because of all their antics, There is basically like almost like a nationwide APB out on this Mustang because it definitely ran some cops off the road in during its Detroit escape. And so a sheriff sees this like Mustang and and I think in the description they mentioned like, uh, uh, you know, a lady with uh, beautiful blonde hair or something like that because this sheriff recognizes Julia and he starts to go up to her and he's like, hey, little Missy, where are you from? Yeah. And her response, well, I can't do it justice. Let's just go ahead and play a little bit of this. So you are not traveling in that silver Mustang out front? Mustang? <laughs> like, a, like the horse? <laughs> no, sir. No. So, of course, Mac, we know that she's British, but here comes this southern accent. You know, this entire movie up to this point, Imogen Poots has been a real charmer. I think at this point I'm just going to give her the MVP. She is the MVP of charm. She is so winning. I I, I don't know. I was just delighted by her. I'm going to be honest with you, David. I was... I was laughing a bunch during this scene. It's not like the most sophisticated comedy in the world, but when he was like, uh, you know, is that your Mustang? She's like, Mustang, like the horse? Like, I ah, I don't know. It was a line reader what? (laughs) but I laughed out loud, David. But the sheriff tries to lure Julia out to his car, presumably to arrest her, but she books it for, for the other direction. She's knocking over display. She has her suitcase with her because she was freshening up in the restroom. So she's going up some stairs to the second floor offices, she opens up her suitcase. She lets all of her clothes spill out. 
to be perfectly honest with you, Mac, and I hope I'm not being a little too inappropriate, I'm surprised that wasn't enough. I'm surprised the cop wasn't just like underwear and then just like, uh, call off the search. We're good. I bet he went back later and got it. I, I, I think in the moment, though, he was at least dedicated enough to, he's like, I won't smell this now. Because uh, let's be honest <laughs> with you, that cop was probably a creep, right? Oh, my God. Absolutely. In Nebraska? Yeah. I was watching this movie with my feral wife. And when she lost her suitcase, I think my fair wife said, no, that's your stuff. And I will admit that if I was on a trip and I lost my entire suitcase, I would still be like, ah, there was stuff in there I wanted. But Julia escapes to the second story of this gas station, okay? And Toby shows up in his car, but Toby shows up like a beat longer than you would think it would take him to drive to the other side of a gas station. More about that in a minute. But Toby's like, I'm right here, jump. And Julia's like, I can't jump. I'm afraid of heights. Which, you know, it's, it's like, he's like, this is not a heights. I don't think that was the line it should have been. Because, yeah, she's like eight feet up at this point. But it's, it's setting up something later. But she does jump off. And she jumps off in a way where she could be kind of side caught. Because I stupidly would have just jumped as if I was going to fall on top of him like a pancake. But she jumps in a way that's like, oh, you must have, you know, were you on cheer squad or something? Because it, it was a good, easily grabbable jump. And as soon as she, uh, Toby catches her, she looks at him and, uh-oh, David, that's a look of love. I did not know the seductive power of trust falls, David. If I jump from a height of 10 feet and someone catches me, I'm looking at them doe-eyed. I don't care who it is. If there's any single or uh, cheating people out there listening to this podcast <laughs> and you're on a date and you just do some quick trust falls... Next thing you know, you'll be knocking boots. Yeah, shove her out of a window, have her fall into a dumpster, and then she'll feel a lot better about life. I don't, I don't, hold on, I don't agree to that. But they take off in the car, and the cop gets in his car, and he's about to take off when all of a sudden, what the fuck? 75% of his car goes forward, but then his rear axle gets jerked back because it was like chained to something. I guess that's what Toby was doing with his time. Because, you know, he has a plan. He always has a plan. And there was this dog who was barking uh, in the back of a pickup truck. The dog was chained up. So Toby obviously thinks, oh, I can tame this dog. I can get the chain off of him and use it to tie up this cop car. Uh, it's all silly. It's all stupid. I feel like I preface everything now by saying this. But Mac, I marked out again. You know what? I, I'm a sucker for for showing the cops what for. I didn't think the scene was silly. I thought it was cool. I'm marked out here. Because it was so unexpected, like the shot, you know, the car's driving forward, next thing you know, it comes apart. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? And I was like, oh, shit, awesome move. So yeah, this is my first markout moment. I was, I was totally behind this scene. Very cool. But then something amazing happens after that is Toby asks Julia to drive. Thank God. Why wasn't this happening earlier? At this point, he's been awake 36 hours, if not more. Take turns, idiot. <laughs> yeah, your coolness can only take you so far. Like, at some point, he has to be like, I'm so tired. I just want to close my eyes, but I'm too cool. But like, this is, you know, this is the growth between them. This is the, this is his trust fall, Mac. He's falling into her arms and letting her drive, not his car. So, you know, it's, this movie's, as much as this movie automatically grew on me, this movie is continuing to grow on me. It's actually a surprisingly sweet movie. But David, he wakes up and they're in some sort of like mountainous part of the country. I guess they're almost to California. And uh, they're kind of talking to each other. And it's, ooh, it seems like these two might like each other. But no time for love, Dr. Carr, because here come some road-based bounty hunters. I'm going to go ahead and say this is the fourth race of this movie. This might be 
insanely over the top, but I am okay with it. I am okay with it, especially because this is going to be Julia's showcase to drive. She is going to be the one behind the wheel driving through Utah when all of a sudden this truck comes ramming into the back of the Mustang. And and when I'm first watching this movie, I'm like, whoa, 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 that's an expensive car. Like this movie's done a really good job of not making contact with very expensive cars. So immediately on, I'm, I'm on edge about this. I'm like, don't scratch the paint. Don't scratch the body. And then a shotgun comes out and the stakes are raised. I'm, I'm actually very much into this, uh, into this chase. Yeah. One of the bounty hunters is like, don't kill him. But at the same time, uh, they're, uh, it seems like they're trying to kill him. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the uh, shotgun is to shoot the door open. I, I think they're, they're going for other things, but you know what? Julia's up for the challenge. She's, she's driving along and Toby wakes up and he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to drive between these, these two cars coming right at you. There's like this, it's like a Hummer or Mercedes Hummer. It's one of, it's a, like a high end SUV. It's, it's a silly car. And then there's some other vehicle and she's like, I'm going for the SUV. It's got a high lift kit. This guy's a chicken shit. And sure enough, she's right. But the chicken shit that she's talking about, instead of pulling over to the side or instead of breaking in like, or turning the other way, drives right into the side of the mountain. Like, I don't know any chickens who are like, I'd rather die than do this. Like it, it seemed a little unbelievable. Quick punch up here. As a reminder, David, the reason why these uh, road warriors are going after this car is the promise of another car. They're like, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll hunt down a human being and maybe kill him just so we can get a Lamborghini. That's dumb. Lean into it. I want them to like try to kill Arid Paul's character and then the soldiers of fortune will turn to each other and they'll be like, I could taste that Lambo, bro. Like, or just something where, <laughs> just to remind us that they are, they're doing this for a car. But David, let me ask you this. Is there a rare item that you would, would drive you to be a bounty hunter? Like if someone's like, oh my God, I got a rare Craig Biggio tops card, you know, <laughs> in mint condition. Would you be like, I'm going to take you down, Aaron Paul? It's funny you should say that. I actually did used to own a Mike Trout rookie card that I sold. I wasn't in a good place, Mac. I was getting rid of everything I owned. If someone could assure me that I was getting that specific card back, the one I actually pulled from a pack that I bought at Walmart and did not buy at a card show or anything, yeah, I'd, I'd give a lot to get that one back. If you told me that Aaron Paul's car had a case and the case was full of mint on card superpowers toys, DC superpowers toys from like the 80s. I would be like, you're dead meat, Paul. <laughs> but then if you were like, oh, sorry, uh, the, the card of the Superman is bent, I'd be like, you're free to go, Paul. It's all or nothing. But Mac, Toby and Julia, they're running out of time. They're running out of space and they're running out of options for escape. But then out of nowhere, presumably, uh, I, I can't imagine it's whisper quiet, but here comes an Apache helicopter. It's Benny. He's with, I guess, a drill instructor or a flight instructor. I don't know. But he manages to get this Apache. It's cool. The appearance of the Apache is cool. But I wish it wasn't Benny. Because, yeah, with the Apache comes Benny. And, and, and the, the deal is a net negative at that point. So earlier in the movie, Benny was bragging to his friends. He's like, you guys don't believe me that I once flew an Apache helicopter, that I can fly one. And like, yeah, Benny, we don't believe you. And so now he's flying an Apache helicopter. Uh, earlier in the movie, he was flying a Cessna. Then he was flying a news helicopter, like a traffic traffic copter. And now, to heighten it, he is flying an Apache. All of this works, David, but none of it is not stupid. They're taking the steps. They've earned this scene, oddly enough, but I, I just don't care. It just feels so dumb to where it's like, 
if Benny showed up at the end of the movie with the Millennium fucking Falcon, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. No, that that totally makes sense. I mean, they, they laid the groundwork. They earned it. But I just, it's like, what did you earn? So they the helicopter drops a chain down. They run the chain over the hood of the car. And they use that to fly the car all the way to California, which d- is the car structurally sound enough to be picked up by, it doesn't matter. We got to keep going. Uh, but David, the the actual scene here where they they hook up the car and the car gets airborne, what'd you think about this? I thought it was cool for the most part. You know, it, it's tense. I didn't quite know where it was going until they latched the, the chain in place. And I was like, okay, let's see, pull this off. So of course it goes driving off a cliff. It gets rescued. It's hanging, it's dangling. It's, you know, basically like a pendulum in the air. I like this, but with Toby and Julia in the car, Julia's freaking out. Toby's taking this opportunity to like calm her down. They're talking about each other's eye color. Mac, I marked out because Toby and Julia are selling this for me. It it was an okay action moment turned great by their chemistry. Something's going on with your heart, David. It must be too full of love or something like this because this is uh, stupid. But the fact that you love it so much just tells me that you're just a sweet boy or something. Uh, I don't know who put those those rainbows in your core, David, Uh, but but they're there because the scene is dumb. But Julie's freaking out because she's afraid of heights. Remember from earlier, oh, this, this movie is consistent in some ways and then insane in others. But David, you're right. They are cute when they're talking to each other. And Aaron Paul's like, look at me. What color are my eyes? And she's like, your eyes are very blue. And he goes, right. They're bluer than yours. And she's like, no, my eyes are way bluer than yours. David, I know this is going to be a weird question coming from me as a white dude, but I, I'm honestly ignorant. Do white people care about blue eyes? I think blue-eyed people care about blue eyes, if that makes sense. I think they do. uh, Who knows with white people, though, Mac? But Mac, Toby, and Julia are going to make it to San Francisco to check in for the De Leon when things get heated between Toby and Dino. Toby thinks better of it and decides instead to go have dinner and a shag with Julia, while Dino decides to put a trucker hit on them, sending Julia to the hospital and destroying the Shelby Mustang. But all is not lost when Anita provides Toby with the Red Aguera that Dino swore was not racing the day Pete died. The De Leon is back on. So Julia's in the hospital. The car's totaled. But here comes Dakota Johnson. She's got the murder car from earlier in the movie. And so it looks like Pete's got his car back, right? But let's go back to the beginning of the scene. They arrive in San Francisco and they're like, we need some sleep or something. They just want a peaceful night of rest before the De Leon. And here comes... That Dino's stupid trucker, he blindsides them, he T-bones them. Mac, I hate blindsides in movies. I hate them, I hate them. This feels like, you know, we were talking the other day about 2000s action and the realism of peril and danger and stuff like that. The stupid blindsides feels like such a 2000s trope and I'm so over it. Do you hate it because of how effective it is? Like, I, I always, whenever someone's just like in a car, you know, like, hey, what a great day. And then all of a sudden... They get blindsided. Yeah, that scares me every time. You know, I, I think it got to the point where we normalized it. And I, I think that's what what bothers me about it. Yeah, you know, the first few times you saw it in a movie, it did seem pretty novel, I guess. But like, the more it happens, the more it's gotten into my brain where now if I'm on the road and I'm at an intersection and I don't see any cars coming, well, I don't see any cars coming in, in any of these movies either. And yeah, no, it absolutely does stick with me. But even though these people have exhibited, they have a definite need for speed. They decide to get you know, like we got we got to get Julia to the hospital. <laughs> Let's like fuck this. 
you know, Shelby Carr, just like leave the Mustang here in the middle of the street and let's, you know, do the right thing here and get Julia to a hospital, which it seems like that should be do the obvious thing. But these guys, uh, they like driving. Well, one last thing about leaving the car in the street. So they make it to San Francisco. And as you remember, Mac, I lived in San Francisco for a few years. And one of my favorite things about San Francisco is if you ever wanted to get rid of anything, just leave it in the street for 30 seconds. Like, I swear to you, people would be moving. Like, they would be unloading moving vans, and they would put something on the sidewalk, and they would go away for 30 seconds, they would come back, and it would just be gone. So, like, can you imagine a $2 million car? I don't care how wrecked it is. San Francisco knows what they're doing. They would have taken that car, and you would have never seen it again. Now, do you think those are people stealing those things, or do you think they, uh, San Francisco has an infestation of the scarab beetles? <laughs> I think it's the San Francisco Chuds. Oh, okay, cool. That's cool. But Toby is going to carry Julia to the truck. They're going to take the. They're going to take them to the hospital. Uh, Julia is going to get dropped off while Toby goes to get a car from Anita. We meet up with Anita. Mac, let me ask you something. Did it seem like like Dino hit Anita? I, there was like a, a hint of a scar or a bruise on her face, but they never draw attention to it. You know, I did not see it. Uh, I, I can't say that I noticed. I'm not saying it's not there. I just saying that I didn't notice it. Well, you say borrow a car from Anita. What, what kind of car would Anita have access to? Oh my God, Mac. Well, she she printed out that receipt and gave Toby the address so he can get the Agera. He's gonna go. He's gonna find the red car that Dino used to manslaughter Pete. Even Joe and Toby are gonna ask each other. They're gonna like. What kind of idiot holds on to this thing? And and Toby very astutely says, well, some people just don't feel like they're ever going to get caught. That kind of, that's Dino in a nutshell. So the fact that Toby is now going to roll up to the De Leon, driving Dino's own murder car to race against Dino. Ooh, that is a sweet bit of justice. It's pretty cool. I I, got to say, I I like that quite a bit. But before we do get to the race, Toby is going to check in with Julia at the hospital uh, he's going to tell her, hey, I've got a car. Don't ask me how I got it or where I got it from. Uh, just be surprised when I win. You know, it's a nice tender moment. But there's something that I didn't notice at first that the bombshell noticed. If you look out the window, if you look out Julia's hospital window, it is the exact same view that Toby and Anita were just looking at. So I think Toby and Anita were just underneath Julia's window when they made this deal. I think this was the point where the movie got a little lazy. So the fact that Julia and Toby now are kind of like sweet on each other, that seems like it, it makes sense to us, the audience, because we've seen them over the course of this movie. But for Toby's friends, again, this is like two days later. So Joe was like, all right, you get in this car, Toby, and I'll check in with you like every six hours. And then after four check-ins are like, you dudes are in love now? <laughs> like it just, his friends must be like, <laughs> Shit, you guys like kind of hated each other at first, but yeah, I, I guess it worked out. But it does work out because here they go in for a little sweet smooch. That's right. This is going to be their first kiss. And I like that we're almost to the end of this movie. And they just have this very sweet little kiss. You know, nobody goes to bed with each other. I it Falling in line with the sweetness of this movie, I, I like it, Mac. I'm okay with it. They do go in for kiss, David. And, and when they separate, you know, Julia, she's in the hospital She's her arm is broken. She's probably on a lot of medications, uh, etc. When they separate from the kiss, Julia has passed out. David, does that count as a real kiss when the other person passed out during it? Like, do do you think she remembers it? Okay, nine times out of ten, it does not count as a kiss. Nine times out of ten, I'm a little concerned. 
But in this movie, in the universe of a silly movie, it kind of harkens back to like, this is something I feel like I would have seen in an 80s movie where it's like, they're burning with passion. They're, you know, they both want each other and then they kiss and she falls asleep and it's like, oh boy, I'm okay with it. See here, another punch up. I would have put in a a too long scene where he goes like, nurse, are you her nurse? It's like, yeah, it's like, we just kissed, but she passed. Could you tell her when she wakes up that we kissed? She's like, yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm about my shift's almost over. And he's like, all right, well, are you, is someone else on the floor? It's like, no, we're doing a shift change. Can you write it on her notes while then? I really need her to know this. <laughs> just have it like, really just destroy any momentum the movie has. But just to make it clear that, uh, so she knows that they kiss when it wakes up. But David, I think it's time to start this fucking De Leon race, right? Oh my God, on your marks, get set, De Leon. Toby makes it to the race in time to show off his new piece of incriminating evidence to Dino. The eight-car field is quickly whittled down thanks to some cops who can't mind their own business, ultimately leaving Toby and Dino as the final two in pursuit of the grand prize of all those wrecked cars. Toby is able to win De Leon and also seriously injuring Dino in the process. Toby serves a few months for street racing, Dino serves probably years for a whole list of wrongdoings, and Julia reunites with Toby to help pick up their friend Benny from prison. Toby has no auto shop and no millions of dollars in daily owned cars, but he does have Julia and her all new fully loaded 2015 Ford Mustang. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, so when we last saw Benny, he was flying that Apache helicopter and he got buzzed by two jets. So we're like, hey, dude, what the fuck are you doing in that helicopter? And then next time we see Benny, he's locked up in military prison. He's, or I don't, I don't know if it's prison, but he's, in, he's like in the brig. So it's like, oh, shit. All of a sudden, actions have consequences. I didn't see that coming, movie. But uh, but there you go. I'll tell you what, though. For as much as I despise, well, not despise, as much as I do not like Benny, seeing him in, like, military prison seemed a little cruel. I was like, hey, why'd you have to do that to my boy Benny? <laughs> Seems like everyone was committing, like, a whole litany of crimes. It's like, why is Benny the one who actually gets caught? <laughs> because that's the other thing is this APB that was out on Toby it has not gone away. In fact, it is now spread to where basically the whole country is like hunting for this dude who's in this race. But David, we we get to meet some other drivers here briefly. Yes. And oh man, I'll tell you what. I think the De Leon relies on the names of the people that they pick. I think that's part of the entertainment value because we get other drivers like English Paul, Texas Mike, The Gooch. So there's eight cars, three awesome names, and two people that we already know. Why are there not eight awesome names? Yeah, I'll give the movie credit here because they tried a little bit, but they didn't try enough. Because look, we've all played enough like video games. We know that these characters not only have to have crazy, comma, memorable names, but they also have to like have crazy appearances. The Gooch, Texas Mike, Bird Lady. And then we see this lady who like looks like, you know, she's got like a bird on her head or something like that. But also they miss an opportunity here. This race, which again, the De Leon, is being set up by Monarch. And it's not like Monarch really has like a presence on the ground. Michael Keaton, you know, he's still just in like this one location running this race from his like home broadcasting studio. So it does seem like, wait, why is everyone, you know, willing to compete in this super dangerous race? Uh, They missed an opportunity here because they could have been like English Paul, former NASCAR champion, the Gooch. Formula One standout, Texas Mike, you know, basically like make this seem like, oh shit, this race is a big fucking deal. And if you're like, well, this race is a big deal, they definitely cleared uh, a stretch of road so this race will be uninterrupted. No, this is an active, busy roads 
that they're on. So yeah, these cars definitely are going to collide with some other cars later on. Some some civilian cars. That's a bummer to me. Yeah, they couldn't get permits for this. They couldn't close anything up. I hope they're at least doing this on like 6 a.m. on a Sunday and not rush hour traffic. But yeah, I, this is, you know what? I guess just let the Monarch run roughshod over everybody. But everyone's excited for this race. We see Benny in the brig and he's like, hey, do you think I get an iPad in the brig here to uh, monitor the race? And then we cut bit to the hospital where some staff comes to check on Julia and she's like, hey, th- do you think I can get a laptop? And they're like, oh, sure, right away. What? Like, do I, hey, hospitals, you know, uh, I've, I've been in uh, quite a few of them recently with a, with a sick relative. And if you ask for something, it might be hours before you get an extra pillow. The fact that they're like, yeah, yeah, we got a laptop. I guess she was the only one on the floor that day or something. Well, she is a pretty lady in San Francisco, so she gets it right away. But that laptop is going to cost her $8,000 on the hospital bill. And even Monarch is excited about this race. How do I know, David? Because he's wearing his best racing jacket. He's, he's like all dressed up. He's like, you know, it's like you go to see the Ninja Turtles movie and you're you're wearing, uh, you know, your, your backpack looks like a turtle shell in the theater because you're jazzed about it. But I kind of feel a little bad for the Monarch because in the lead up to the De Leon, uh, the monarch tells us, well, he tells us everything. Golly, this is the king of exposition. But one of the things he tells us is like, that's that's Carol Shelby's Mustang. That was, that was the thing he was working on before he died. I got to get that in the De Leon. And so then to have Toby show up in an Agera, well, look, you know, is super rare. And it's also uh, hot because it's a it's a piece of evidence. But do you think in the back of in the back of his mind, the monarch was like, I invited the Shelby Mustang. What, what are you doing here? Yeah. And also the monarch puts everything together real fast. He's like, I'm receiving word that uh, that Aguero was the one that was involved in that accident that took the life of Pete. Oh, it looks like, uh, you know, Dino's in a lot of trouble. Like, I, Mon- Monarch just jumps to the right conclusion uh, twice, I think, in this uh, sequence. So I guess good for Monarch. Look, I love Michael Keaton, but he needs to shut up. <laughs> like, he just just let the movie be a movie. You don't have to be like, Oh, actually, I think I know what's going on here. Uh, Toby's going to try to win the race uh, so that he can prove <laughs> that he's better. Yeah, yeah, that's happening. Oh, yeah, I like it's like, golly, Keaton. Also, so everyone who's monitoring the race is uh, just watching like this, basically kind of like a graphic of little, you know, avatars indicating like, you know, who's in first, who's in second. But Monarch has a, uh, a live feed of the race, like actual footage that for some reason he's not broadcasting. I don't know why I bring that up. Is it important? Probably not. But here we go with our fifth and final race of the movie. And it's a big one, David. It's a De Leon. It's the De Leon. I almost kind of wish it never started, though, because Dino's at the front. He's got the pole position. Toby shows up in the Red Aguera. That is the car that, that Dino used, you know, in, in, the, in the death of Pete. There's a part of me that wishes on your mark. Yeah, and Dino just takes off, peels out, and he's just gone. Like, just make a run for it, Dino. You know you're done. So is Dino driving, like, that uh, expensive Lambo that he bragged about? I believe that's the one, yeah. I do know one thing about it, and this is a a, a, a supervillain car, because it's all black, as if it is uh, a car that uh, Darth Vader designed. Dino's like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bad boy. And by bad boy, I mean accessory to murder. But but the race is on. It's you know it starts off. You got eight cars vying for the for the lead. Right off the bat, I noticed the cars are bumping into each other. This is not like any race we've had leading up to this. 
but it's also the most expensive race we've had. Like, please, guys, do not bump each other. These are expensive cars. Like, let's just make it to the finish line together. But because the police are hunting Toby, they stumble across this race. And all of a sudden, this race has a very large police presence. So large, in fact, that the racers start, like, colliding with these police cars And the police cars go like, you know, crashing and burning off the side of the road. I don't think necessarily some of the, you know, cops driving them died. Some of them definitely probably got hurt. And uh, what's stunning to me, David, is no hesitation from these racers. Like you think some of these guys were like, oh, shit, I just wanted to race. Now I've uh, committed felonies. Again, David, I I think these guys, they, they just have a real need for speed. It's undeniable their need for speed. But I also think, you know, I mean, kind of breaking it apart in a way that maybe I shouldn't. But I think their entire lives are like this. You know, they always, anytime they get behind the wheel of a car, they expect to be chased by a cop. So this is just same shit as every other day. But the effort that the cops put into stopping them, they are so in over their heads. Even at one point, the monarch is like, uh, you know, a cop car's top speed is like 130 miles per hour. So good luck trying to catch them. But, like, they can't even put strips down because the cars are going too fast to get them set up in time. So, finally, they're just like, all right, let's try a rolling block. And it's they cut to two cop cars just swerving in and out of lanes. It, it just looks like two cars playing double dutch. It's the saddest thing in the world. I laugh so hard because what do they think they're going to do against these race cars? Yeah, and these cop cars go careening to maybe their death. Uh, We don't know. And the drivers of these cars definitely don't fucking care. And you hear a little bit of uh, the police radio here. And at some point, you know, dispatch or whoever is like, uh, you know, consider using lethal force. (laughs) This race has ratcheted up to the fact that the cops are considering shooting the drivers. Not one of the drivers is like, I did not sign up for this. And then just like, you know, drives off in the distance. But David, at some point, they pass a school bus, and it's like, oh my God, don't do not do this. Oh, I was absolutely worried about that school bus. I was like, please don't wreck this bus or put these kids in any danger. But the outcome could not have been better, because not only do the kids in the bus see these race cars zoom by at hundreds of miles an hour, but then across the street, there's a tow truck set up, obviously waiting for a stunt spectacular to happen. And then here comes a cop car. It ramps up the the ramp to the tow truck. And then I guess it was just made of oily rags because it goes up into flames. That had to have been the greatest day of those kids' lives. Are you kidding me? They would have never stopped talking. If you're bored driving back from like a fucking field trip and next thing you know, a stunt spectacular breaks out that involves uh, authority figures, in this case, the police, their car is exploding. That bus would have been like the rage virus from 28 days later hit it. We would have just lost our minds. I might have jumped out of the window of the bus. I would have been so excited. So yes, you're absolutely correct in that. But look, the cops, they've tried everything now. So at this point, they're like, all right, let's try a pit. Are you set up for the pit? I don't know exactly what that term means, but the action that it indicates is a cop gets out of his car he puts the car in like park or neutral or no or whatever, but then he like basically jams his nightstick down on the accelerator to where the car's like like going really fast. And then the aerial support is like, all right, three, two, one. And then the cop launches his car like a missile, like the holdo maneuver from Last Jedi, into <laughs> the uh, lead racer, which at this point is Dino. The fact that this is like 
and the standard operating procedure that they had like a term for this. This was such a whoa, what the fuck moment that the cops were doing this. I marked out. This is my second markup moment. Yes. It was, I kind of lost my mind how crazy this was. But because the cops were like, all right, yeah, do this thing. Because they normalize it so much, I think that was part of the selling point for me to where I was like, what the fuck is happening? I love this. Oh, this is terrific. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They don't do anything to like build it up where it's like, all right, we've got to go to the pit maneuver or whatever. They're just like, all right, stand by. Three, two. And then you like hear the cars approaching. So it was very tense building up to it. But then to see the desperation of, I'm just going to launch my car at them and hope for the best. Yeah, no, it was terrific. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because they easily could have been on the radio like, fuck, what do we do? Shit, uh, I can launch my car. I don't know. Fucking give it a try, Gary. But no, they're like, all right, <laughs> let's do a pit stop on this. Like they've do, they do this all the time, I guess. It's fucked up. But David, you're right. As they're racing, the other racers, you know, Gooch, Texas Mike, Welsh Gallagher. Scottish Tyrone. All those dudes get uh, wiped out. And so now it's just uh, Dino and Toby. And Toby's like, Pete, I need you, pal. Like he's just speaking that into the afterlife. Uh, why does he need Pete? What did Pete give Toby? Like, the, here's the problem with Toby is he's got no character journey. He was always confident. He always wanted this thing. He never doubted himself. He's just kind of been on a mission from day one. And even though his friend died and there was huge consequences and he maybe lost his business, that never affected his mission. I mean, when we first meet him, people are like, I'm sorry about your dad. Guessing his dad was a, a fresh death. I mean, if they had swapped out, I mean, like maybe if Pete had been older or an older brother or some sort of like mentor figure, you know, it would have been like, uh, you know, like Dumbo, like, oh, you didn't need the feather after all, Dumbo. But like, what does he need Pete to do? He needs Pete to like, just gas him up. Like, like ghost Pete is going to come and be like, I had a vision, Toby, that you, you were winning the Daily Own or something. It's just, I don't know. This, this Pete's death, I mean, maybe because that character Pete was so fucking annoying, but uh, I don't think it did what the movie wanted it to do. I, I'm I'm with you. I, at first, I, I thought it was just kind of one of those arbitrary, like, talk to me, goose sort of things where I'm desperate. I need someone's help. I need to rely on something. But now that you mention it, I almost kind of wish that when we were back at the race between Dino and Toby, where they're racing the Agueras, I almost wish that Toby had invited Pete to the race to be like his wingman because we saw it in the first race. Pete did a really good job of playing blocker and, and letting Toby keep the lead. What if that was Pete's role where he's just, you know, it's it's shake and bake basically. And Toby's in, in the De Leon, he's the shake, but he doesn't have his bake. Not that that makes it satisfying, but at least it makes, at least it's an explanation. I mean, that would have been perfect if they were like, Joe, do I even have a chance to win the De Leon? I'm nothing without Pete. Like that would have been, a perfect setup yeah. for this. Oh, you just reminded me of that, the moment in Top Gun Maverick where Rooster says, talk to me, dad. Oh my God. That was, that was the whole movie. I got, <laughs> I got the flesh of a, of a goose again, which is, is funny. Cause you know, that, that was the guy's name goose. Yeah. Uh, but Dino wipes out here and I had to rewind Dino's wipe out a couple times to get a, you know, to, just to be clear on why he fucking crashed. Did you need to do that? Or did, was it clear to you the first viewing? It was clear to me. So what did you miss on that one? I don't know. I mean, I, I can't tell you what I, I just was like, wait, why did he crash? And then I was like, oh, okay. Cause Monarch even says it. He says like, Dino tried to take a, a, a swing and he missed. Cause yeah. So Dino tries to like basically bump Toby's car, but uh, Toby, speaking of Top Gun, takes a play out of the, the Maverick playbook. He slams on the brakes. 
Dino goes flying past him, and instead of turning the car to bump into Toby, he turns his car into nothing, and he ends up wiping out. And it looks like Toby is going to win this thing uncontested. However, one of the things he was like mad at Dino for was after Pete wrecked, Toby stopped the race to go back and check on, on Pete. But Dino, he didn't check on Pete. He didn't care if Pete dies. But that's not Toby. So even though Dino is his sworn enemy, the fact that Dino is trapped in a burning car right now, some things are more important than speed, David. Not the lives of the police officers or the lives of a, a tow truck driver. But yes, the life of his the most hated man on the planet. Because I guess there's some racer's respect there. He goes back. He pulls Dino out of the flaming car. And then once he realizes that Dino's okay, he punches him in the face. Says, this is for Pete. And then he gets back in the car to make it all the way to what turns out to be a lighthouse to win the race. See, because the flimsy script wants you to believe that Toby is better than Dino. He's not going to make the same mistake that Dino did. No, if someone's in trouble, he's going to go back there and, and save him and make sure he's okay. But really, the secret movie is, well, I got to make sure Dino's okay because I want to make sure he goes to prison. So I completely understand that move. But golly, like, let the movie play out, Monarch. Michael Keaton comes in, he's like, Toby's going back to get uh, Dino. This ain't just about race. It's like, shut up. We're almost done. Let the movie movie. But Mac, I have a question here real quick because Toby doesn't reach the finish line. He turns around and goes to save Dino. Monarch makes a, a comment. He's like, hey, you know, he's got that, that $2 million Lambo in his pocket. And, he, and you know, he's giving it up. The way I understood the the race or the way I understood the, the, the stakes is that it's a winner take all race. They're basically racing for pink slips. So the winner gets all of the cars. But by the end of the race, there are no cars. Was the plan just to keep the cars that survive? Do they get the insurance payout on these cars? Or does Toby just get absolutely nothing because all the cars are wrecked? That's an excellent question, David. And there's actually a very simple explanation for it. Because the movie clearly states that if you... And that's what Toby gets. Oh my gosh, I'm stupid for missing that. You're absolutely right. But Toby wins the race, but here comes the cops. And then Monarch, of course, who, again, knows everything. He's like, well, turns out Dino is a criminal and the cops have evidence. And it looks like he's going to go away for a long time. And, and probably uh, Toby's going to spend about, I don't know, six months in jail. Six months later, uh, Toby gets out of jail. The question is, David, who the fuck is Toby's lawyer? Because uh, <laughs> that individual is a goddamn shark. Oh, my God. Here's a punch up. We see Toby leaving the trial. Who's his lawyer? Monarch. Oh, actually, who would have been? A, is there like a racing? Oh, you know, his, you know, who would have been his perfect lawyer. It would have been two on the nose if it was uh, Bob Odenkirk who played Saul. But if his lawyer was oh his God. lawyer was played by Brian Cranston, not in a bald uh, wig, <laughs> that would have been just the icing on the cake. Ultimate punch up. The fact that you didn't do a Need for Speed, shame on you. But who is waiting for Toby when he gets out of jail? Uh, that's going to be Julia, and she's going to be in this brand new cherry red Mustang. You know, every gearhead's favorite car. They're going to go pick up Benny in Utah because he's getting out of the brig for good behavior. He apparently started some exercise program while in jail. I couldn't care less about that. I'm just happy to see Toby and Julia together. Yeah, you know, I actually, I, I was trying to find out some some exact dialogue, and so I looked up the script, and there's actually a deleted scene here at the end of the movie where Julia goes, was it all worth it, Toby? And then Toby looks at Julia and he says, the fact that you were waiting for me at the end, I would have burned a thousand peats to get to this moment. And I got to say, 
<laughs> I don't blame him. But Mac, they're going to drive off into the Utah sunset. They're going to, I'm sure, uh, get killed in a speed race somewhere along the way. But until then, this is the end of Need for Speed. All right, David, how many mark out moments did you have? How many moms? For this episode, I'm going to call them sucker moments. I had four. I was a sucker for this movie. How about you, Mac? How many moms did you have? I tilted twice at this thing. I had two mark out moments. David, is this someone's favorite movie? I'll bet this is some car guy's dark horse pick. I'll bet some car guy who watches every car movie and thought, oh, this isn't that bad. I I could buy that. How about you? I think this movie is fun enough to where it was probably someone's favorite movie for a few months. And then those people saw more movies. But yeah, it's charming enough that I think the right person, right time. It it could have been someone's favorite movie. All right, David, time for punch-ups. We're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. David, how would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? And yes, David, I'm breaking the the picket lines. I'm scabbing to punch up this movie. I don't have very money. I think the movie is okay as it is. My two punch-ups kind of coincide with each other. Um, One, I mentioned it at the top, or I mentioned it when when we started talking about the movie, in the in human interactions play on for a little too long. I think we could lose a good 15 minutes of this movie and still have pretty much the exact same movie. That's going to lead into my second punch up. Let's lose Benny. Kid Cuddy, bless you. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to act uh, and it's hard to get roles. So I'm not begrudging you that, but like this is a waste of a role. This does not add anything. It wears me out. Uh, let's just replace Benny with like a sass talking drone or something. I think everything else works for the most part. I think this movie is exactly what it wants to be. What, what, you got punch ups for me, Mac? Ah, uh, yeah. My my one biggest punch up is just why. Just explain why all this is happening. Just you need like about fifteen little throwaway lines throughout this thing just to help sell everything because a, a lot of crazy stuff happens in this movie with no fucking explanation. Why is the monarch able to get all these people to come to the race? Why is there so much infrastructure in Mount Kisco based around racing? And the biggest one, why does Toby want to race? Like they never explain like, what does racing mean for Toby? What got you into racing, man? Just talk about his motivation a little bit. Just give me some whys. And they don't have to be like full on like explanation scenes you know, just where people are like, you know, spitting out all this, uh, oh, that's why things are happening. Just some some quick little things to to ground it. Just have someone, before you film this thing, read the script, and every time they go, wait, why is this happening? Then just fix it. There you go. And that someone could be me. I'm a script doctor. Bing, bing, bing. My second punch up, the Monarch's weird radio broadcast or internet streaming show, that whole thing was like so vague and weird and ill-defined. And the fact that nobody uh, like knows who he was, that just, all that felt very fake. So my punch up is let's ground this thing as like a streaming webcast podcast. How? I want to hear Monarch do some typical podcast ads. I want him to be like, it looks like it's shaping to be a good daily own. Hey, you know what's shaping up? Uh, Keeping your family safe. Things is Simply Safe. Use the code Monarch at checkout for 15% off the Simply Safe home setup guide. I use it here in my secret headquarters. You can use it too. Hey, betterhelp.com. We all go through some tough times. Lord knows I've had some problems. I can't leave my house without shrieking. But thanks to BetterHelp.com, et cetera, David. I think that would have really helped ground this movie. See, I'm with you, but it is a stream. So I think it should be more of a hot tub kind of thing. I think Michael Keaton should be in there. He's like, all right, for 50 bucks, I'll do ASMR. For 100 bucks, I'll do JOY. 
Like he, you know, let's make him one of the original streamers. Oh, so it's like, um, oh God, um, ch- chatterbait. Is that a thing? I think it is. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, uh, let me check. Oh no, I'm on a list. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> David, please join me in the Punch Mountain video store. David, we have three copies of Need for Speed, and we need to determine what shelves they go on. This is an all-action movie video store, so what would be the sub-sections of action that you choose to stock these copies? Okay, the first one's going to be an automatic. Oh, there's a joke there. This one's going to be car action. Uh, it's a very car movie. It's the only action in the movie. There's no, like, there's no violence. There's no gunplay. I guess there's a little bit, but, like, it's a car movie through and through. Uh, second copy's going in 2010's action. This is a very, you know, if I can split hairs, this does feel like a very 2010's kind of action movie. Like, look, it's not very good, but it's still good. You know, we make them good now. Even, even the even the B pictures are still, you know, have some merit to them. So I would put this in 2010's action. Third copy's gonna go... Oh, hell, I was going to put in case you missed it, but you know what? I, I I think I feel such a bond with this one. This one's going on the employee picks. This one, if you if you want to see this movie, tell them David sent you. David, I'm surprised you did not stock this movie in one of your favorite categories, which is uh, men failing upward. You know, you're the, the genre <laughs> that would include Top Gun Maverick and Robot Jocks. The fact that this dude keeps fucking up and he keeps getting unlimited chances until he wins. He fucked up once and he went to jail for it. He served his time. And then the rest of it, he pitched a perfect game after that. (laughs) The perfect game probably resulted (laughs) in a lot of civilian deaths. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Oh, David, I'm feeling the need, the need for some rankings. Okay, it is now time to reveal the position of Need for Speed on Punch Mountain, the definitive ranking of action movies. Uh, Just to remind people, currently at the top of the mountain, the summit, current top six are... Terminator 2, Judgment Day, The Raid 2, The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hard Boiled, and Speed. Oh, I'm getting kind of sick of reading those same six movies. We need to do some Mountain Slayers soon. Mountain Slayers! Mm -hmm. And currently at the bottom of the movie, at the rest stop outside Mount Kisco, where the vending machines are empty and the bathroom stalls are full of uh, horny, hungry, lonely, single, quote-unquote straight guys, it's the movie Chappie at number 38. So David, before we reveal the Mountains rankings, where would you put this movie? I would put it so high. Are you kidding me? No, being realistic. Look, here's the thing about this movie. It's not a particularly action-y movie. I was I was really just submitting it for consideration on the mountain because I enjoy the car sequences. I think this is some of the best car stuff I've seen in a movie or, you know, a, a mid-range movie, not a classic movie, I guess. But it's got a lot of stuff wrong with it. The script makes no sense. There's a lot of head scratchers in this. There's a lot of loose threads. There's a lot of tied up threads that don't, you could just let them be. Uh, this movie's a mess, but I do love messes, Mac. Um, probably somewhere toward the bottom though. How about, how about you? What are you thinking? Well, I think as far as like car action movies go, I, I like the car action in this, in this movie. And there were some ridiculous moments, you know, with the bounty hunters and the car being carried away by an Apache, but it never reached that level that you get with Fast and the Furious movies where a car suddenly like blasts off in outer space and you're like rolling your eyes like, this is a fucking stupid as shit. Even though this movie was a little silly, the action parts of it I thought were, were pretty solid. Uh, I mean, the, the script definitely needed some work. There are some fun performances, but, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Oh no, David, uh, the rocks are falling. They're probably crushing a million tow trucks. Nobody in the, <laughs> the driving the race cars seems to care. But the golden letters are appearing. 
revealing the position of need for speed. So there it is at number 29. So that makes 27 Punisher Warzone, 28 Olympus Has Fallen, 29 Need for Speed, and now at 30, another car movie, The Driver, and then followed by uh, Dirty Dozen, RoboCop 2, Pitch Black, and Charlie's Angels 2019. We haven't said those names in a while, but they are they are there. Hell yeah. So so let's review. My three blue shell picks are currently 29, 31, 37, and then my Christmas, or then my birthday pick is is right there, The Driver, at number 30. Some people would get their feelings hurt by these showings. I take pride in them, Mac. I'm really happy to pad the bottom of the mountain. Well, one of my blue shell picks is right above 27 Punisher Warzone. Uh, but then the other one, Gunpowder Milkshake. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm rooting for every movie. But that one, I mean, again, that one may even be too high. I don't know. We'll see. I think, you know, it's not, it's not that it's too high. It's just that we got to watch some more movies. Uh, I'm up for the challenge. I've got a need for, uh, for movies. <laughs> Well, thankfully, my need for amphetamines will I'll be able to watch movies all night. Uh, David, do you hear that that sound? Oh, there there it goes. That was a car, right? <laughs> no, David. That was a, clearly a battle horn. In fact, it was a horn oh. calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Clean Air Task Force. The CATF is a group of climate and energy experts who achieve impact through technology innovation, policy advocacy, and thought leadership to leverage workable solutions to this global crisis. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Clean Air Task Force. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on the Clean Air Task Force or to donate directly to them, visit catf.us. And that is going to do it for another edition of Punch Mountain. Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter for now and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out our Discord server. You can find that in our link tree. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, from the year 2020 and directed by Guillaume Pierre, it is Lost Bullet. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.